Welcome to the Willie's World Podcast, Season 2, Episode 1. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Willie Biggs Stolk. Um, it's been a while since we have been on the mic, and uh, that is because I've been very busy, obviously doing stunts, starting cannabis companies, and causing mischief all over the place. I'm still currently on bail for last year's Opera House stunt. Uh, Alec and I will be going to court on August the 27th to fight for our right to protest. But that's neither here nor there. On today's episode, we're chatting with the one and only DJ Neil Armstrong. Neil is the epitome of dopeness. He is an original New York native that grew up at Fat Five Jive Records. He... Spelling, name, I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's an OG. He originally was a Mixmaster champion. He got into DJing at a young age, and he blew up and became one of the best at his craft in the world. He was Jay-Z's tour DJ for over five years. He was a global ambassador for Adidas, and he was just an all-round boss. Uh, Neil and I have been friends for quite a long time. I originally met Neil in about 2012, maybe 2011, at Carbon in Melbourne, which was organised by the one and only Andrew Montel of Acclaim Magazine. Um, it was a festival of street culture and music culture where he brought down a bunch of the who's who in the world of street art, music, and streetwear down to Melbourne to speak and kind of teach the people of Australia about what we're missing out down under. And one of the head speakers at the first conference was the one and only DJ Neil Armstrong. Um, I chatted with him and Frank Lou and uh, Bobby Hundreds of Hundreds Clothing fame and uh, we had a little chat and then I so happened to be flying back to the Gold Coast on the Monday of that weekend and he was sitting next to me on the plane. And then after chatting with him for about five minutes, I realized that we had the same headphone sponsor and he was on his way to go to Byron Bay to hang out with the owner of Aerial 7, which was my former headphone sponsor and his headphone sponsor. We chatted, we became friendly, and then we ended up uh, kind of hitting it off and we've been kind of friendly ever since. So I've uh, booked him for a couple of gigs down here in Australia. <clears throat> and we on and off over the years we've been chatting and we you know finally got time to do a podcast so in today's show you're going to learn about the history of uh hip hop in the kind of new york where it came from um how neil was has seen tupac and biggie play together how he came up through the fucking ranks to become one of the most amazing djs on planet earth and what it's like to go on tour with uh kanye and dj and the one and only jay-z so strap yourselves in for a very very interesting episode and uh welcome back to the willis world experience because i'm here to stay and um it's good to be back on the mic doing podcasts so in the next 20 20 episodes of this series you are going to talk to the who's who of action sports porn stars rocket scientists and whoever else i feel like talking to so i hope you like um, make sure you like and subscribe on YouTube, on Twitter, on Shopify and Spotify, all Willie's World Podcast. I love you guys. You're all amazing and I hope you're having a great 2023. 
I look forward to entertaining you and basically rocking your socks off with some of the epic guests that I have lined up. So now cue the music and it's time for today's episode. Willie's World! Willie's World! Party time! Excellent! Yo, Willie's World Podcast. Dobbest dub you're ever going to smoke. Today we're in the house with the one and only DJ Neil Armstrong, OG. What's going on, y'all? Mixtape King, New York's one and only. <laughs> Jay-Z's former tour DJ, mix champion. <laughs> one, of the, one of the last Mohicans on the vinyls. How's, how's life, <laughs> dude? Are you well? I'm as well as could be, always could be better, but um, no complaints at all. No complaints. How about yourself? Yeah, pretty good, man. It's been a long little, you know, couple of years with all this uh, bullshit. Haven't seen you for a little while. Um, haven't been able to travel. Uh, but, yeah, other than that, pretty good. You know, just surfing a lot and working and cannabis stuff and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, life's good. Nice, nice. I just saw that, right? Uh, they, they're working on I, – I think it was your post about uh, they're decriminalizing – they're potentially looking into it. Um, they've decriminalized now in um, in uh, the ACT, which is like kind of like our equivalent of like Washington State, Washington DC, excuse me. Um, okay. The rest of the country, there's a couple of um, motions in to legalize um, federally, but I don't know if that'll actually go through. Um, right. So you know, Australia is pretty backward kind of nanny state. So. You know, we keep pushing, we keep doing publicity stunts and stuff like that. Um, I'm actually on bail right now for projecting weed leaves on the side of the Sydney Opera House. Um, oh, really? So, <laughs> so, so uh, you know, the, the fight continues. If You know, there there is motion. Um, whether that actually leads to a positive outcome is yet to be determined. Right, right. That's interesting. That's crazy. That, and that, that's pretty wild, buddy, about the... the, the <laughs> Well, if we don't, if if I don't do it, no one else is going to do it. So, you know, who are we hurting? (laughs) 2022, we've been pushing hard for six or seven years with publicity stunts. Got a lot of motions in, you know, working with the Greens here in Australia and, you know, working hard to try and change things. But this podcast isn't about Willie. This is about you, my friend. So can you take us back to the kind of mid to early eighties when you originally were exposed to hip hop, how did, um, how did you originally get into this uh, kind of space being obviously of an Asian background? That's not really the usual thing I'm assuming. Um, in that oh, no, time that, that's New definitely York. safe to say, De- definitely safe to say. Uh, I don't even know if there were really any, a, a lot of early Filipino pioneers or Asian pioneers. I, I happen to be Filipino American as far as what we call hip hop. Um, however, interesting enough, if you guys want to look up a guy named Joe Bataan, he did a song called Rappo Clapo that he recorded in the early 80s that I don't see the, what you got to remember at the time. There, there was no genre called hip hop. It was just, you know, these guys were rapping at these parties and, you know, they, it hadn't been recorded yet. So the first, I guess, you know, official recording is of course, rapper's delight. One of the earlier recordings was by this guy, Joe Bataan, who was a singer. And he actually says Joe Batan, right? He, he's a, 
I'd like to say he's half Filipino. He might be like Puerto Rican, Filipino, black, like just super mixed. Some kind of mix. Some kind of mix. He currently does acknowledge a lot of his Filipino ancestry, though, which is really cool. But yeah, he made a song called Rappo Clapo, which is one of the earlier hip hop songs on Wax. And you can look that up. Um, But me personally, I grew up a little, obviously a little bit later. Uh, I got into hip hop in the 90s in the form that you, you know, that we're familiar with. Let's take it back to the beginning. Um, Can you get, get, take us back to how you originally uh, kind of got into DJing and um, you kind of, your your pastor's son, as you were saying, and now before we got, we had technical difficulties. So way, way, way back in the beginning, how I got into hip hop itself was, um, I mean, you know, I grew up in New York and there was a point where in the earlier part of the eighties, you know, like B-boying was huge or break in, you know, so there was the movie break in, there was the movie crush groove groups like run DMC were starting to get really huge. Um, they used to play this song called jam on it by nucleus on the radio all the time. And that was kind of my first introduction to just this idea of what hip hop was. Fast forward a bit later and my pastor's son, like pastor's kids are usually known for being like badasses. So he, he's the one who gave me a copy of like NWA's, you know, I can't remember which album, the one with express yourself. I think though, that's the, that's the one. And that- and then, um, that was around 1987, is that correct? I guess 87, 88. I, I think it was 87. I think it was a little earlier. And then uh, he also gave me a copy of copy of Rakim's Follow the Leader. Ooh, that's, some, that's some pretty fire records, a little bit of West Coast and East Coast. Um, yeah, were you yeah. more so influenced by the East Coast rappers because that was where you were from? Oh, of course. I mean, at the time, it, I wouldn't even say it's East Coast. It was New York, right? New York was really, it was really New York centric. And then um, I, I grew up in the church and my particular church happened to be kind of a melting pot. And we used to have these like youth group meetings with other churches and anyone that was in our district would join in on these massive youth group meetups and some of the people were from like upstate New York. So they were really white, uh, sweet cats, very, very proper. I'll always remember there was this one guy named Bill. He used to be like, Hey, I'm Bill from Goshen. Like he had to make sure to tell you he's from this place called Goshen. Hmm? And then there was this other part of the district and most of the churches were black. I happen to have lived in, in that particular area. So when we would have smaller meetups, I would be in like the bus with them wherever we were traveling to. So this would have been in like, like 1990, 1988, 87, 88. And one of that, one of that church, one of those churches was from Long Island. And Long Island is, of course, where De La Soul is from. And the whole bus trip, it would just be them bumping 
De La Soul's first album, Three Feet High and Rising. Now, what you got to remember at this time, there was there was no hip hop stations like these records were not getting played. There was no way for me to hear these things unless I was exposed, like, you know, through some personal way. So I end up learning every single word of Three Feet High and Rising from being on the bus with, you know, all my fellow churchgoers. And then um, fast forward to college, fast, Fat Beats is four blocks away from me. And they actually open up the same time that I go to college. So they're brand new as well. Fat can, Beats, can you can you give us a little bit of rundown on what Fat Beats was and how big of an impact it was in that whole kind of emerging culture of DJing and, you know, well, scratching? Fat Beats was the 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 store the, or there were other stores. There was like B Street Records. And of course, there's there were stores up in the Bronx and there's stores everywhere. But Fat Beats was the that, spot. It ends up being this epicenter for hip hop during let's say 1996 to 2005 maybe so just like uh you know stretch armstrong and bobito are kind of these gate like gatekeepers for hip hop they uh their show in new york that's where wu-tang clan performs for the first time and they use the term discovered. And I guess in a way, like, uh, so Jay-Z goes on there with Big L, organized uh-huh. confusion, uh, essentially like the gatekeepers of what is dope hip hop. Fat Beats was the associated store that sold Wu-Tang Clan's first album and first single and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, organized confusion was not something that you would hear on regular radio they weren't even on you know like 98.7 kiss fm and wbls they weren't really playing that type of stuff either it was fat beats where you could get these type of things so they were the tastemakers before that term was was a acknowledged and i used to actually hang out at fat beats i end up meeting the x-men over there they kind of take me in uh they actually teach me how to DJ, which is kind of ill. And then I end up doing my first show, opening up for the X-Men. Um, that first show, we don't get paid. I didn't get, I didn't get paid anything. And at that time, I'm, I'm part of a, a trio of DJs. There's a group of us. The next show we do together, I think at that time, there's five of us now. And we got paid 50 bucks for all five of us. <laughs> So it was kind of it was a really different time period. Uh, per, like first off, like at the time I was living with my parents, I didn't have a mortgage to pay. I didn't have to worry about money the way you know normal adults do. Um, so we didn't really worry about making money. We just worried about the culture and kind of we, we all used to hang out. Uh, Total Eclipse of the X Men, who's Total Eclipse, is actually down there now and uh in Oz. I forgot what where he lives. I think it's can't remember right now. But he's down there. He was my one of my DJ partner's roommates. So we were all just together all the time. All the time just hanging out. Um it was a more innocent time, I think, because you knew if you were hanging out with someone, it wasn't because they were 
trying to get something from you or uh simpler times and simpler pleasures yeah so like we were talking about before we got cut off like how the dj culture was really in intertwined with street culture so if you're anyone in you who follows you probably has seen the movie kids there's a guy in the movie kids named harold hunter uh actually i forgot there's a there's another skater named ryan ryan zakorski he's also in the movie kids he doesn't have a speaking role but he's one of the one of the skaters that hangs out with all the whole crew of kids he actually used to work at fab eats so we were all like friends with each other like i was friends with jefferson pang all the skaters kind of we we just all had a mutual respect and actually hung out with each other um and it like I said, there was no, I wasn't like, oh, you know, later on you can help me promote, you can help promote my party, right? Or, you know, they weren't like, yo, can you wear my shirt uh, so that people can know about our brand? Like, we were not concerned about any of that. It was just, is this kid cool? Is he doing cool ass shit? All right, well, we're friends then. <laughs> and that was that. So basically, yeah, if you if you were dope, you were dope, and you were if you were dope, you're in the scene, and and it was a melting pot of kind of a, a cross crossing of genres of skateboarding and oh shit, DJing absolutely. and music. I mean, and that's why that's graffiti. why Supreme is, is so uh, respected because it's a streetwear company. It was like that's what it was before you know the hype took over. It was that. And, you know, it was normal kids just pushing it, wearing it, working at the store. Like Angelo, who was long time with, with uh, I've known Angelo for, I don't know, for years. We don't really talk much and I'm I'm not even in New York, but I'm sure if we see each other on the street, it's. That OG shit doesn't, in. that doesn't die. And, and kinda, was, kinda, it doesn't. <laughs> was James Jebbia around a lot back then, or was he kind of in the background? James, isn't from, isn't that the cat that started Supreme, or is that my my? Mis- I, I mean, he might have been. I I didn't know those type of dudes. So, like, it's more the tastemaker, influential people that were the kids that were on the ground. I Do guess, I, but like I said, back then they didn't say it like that. It was yeah. just kids, the kids who were around. I probably more knew like maybe like the guys who started Shut, and I can't even remember their names right now. There's like a graffiti crew called Iraq. Um, I don't know if you know Neil Santos. He was a friend of mine that yeah, I I've heard that name before. But Neil Santos also used to work at Fat Beats. So any of those like cross-sectional type of people, we all kind of ran into each other. Um, I'm sure in his scene, they were all all around each other, but I don't remember. And even if I did meet him, I was such a kid that it didn't, like those type of things didn't matter to me. I didn't, and most of those guys weren't like that either. They weren't like, oh, you know who I am. You should know. Yeah, that that I've didn't that didn't evolve it. until later in the game. Possibly. Yeah. Like, I never saw Harold do that to anybody ever, um, or any of us. You know, we were just it wasn't like that back then. Now, you asked me a question about how things happen later. It's funny because I'm kind of downplaying all that, but 
later on, I had a manager named Sky Galatly who currently does something called Iconoclast, which really uh, deals with a lot of visual artists. Uh, one in particular is, uh, whatchamacallit, is um, Futura. Futura. And also 13th Witness is one of their other clients. But I was one of, I guess, if not his first management project, I, I, I was one of his earlier people that he managed. And um, he's the one who got me involved with being like a blogger on Hypebeast. Like early on, it was myself, Frank Liu from New Zealand, um, Andy Chu, who's Thirteen from... Witness, Carrie Cassette Player. Yeah. Um, Joy Yoon. Mm, from uh, Ambush, right? Is that correct? There, well, there's, there is Joy, there's Ambush. She was on it as well, but there's another, there was another person named Joy Yoon who I remember she was a blogger as well. And we all, you know, he was the one who really pushed me to treat DJ Neil Armstrong as a brand. And, you know, I, I hope you, you think I'm a humble dude. I, I'm never to be like, I'm the first to do this. I'm the first. But I, <laughs> in this particular case, my, from my group of people who I DJed with, absolutely. I was one of the earlier adopters of that type of mentality, which is why I got to, you know, I was sponsored by Adidas. I was sponsored by, you know, I did all the stuff with the NBA because he really treated myself as a brand as opposed to, uh, you know, I'm just going to be a radio DJ or I'm going to do certain things like just uh, a working class DJ, I guess is the best term, but um, yeah. So how did you, how did you develop your skill set? You know, as you, obviously you're going to university in the early days, fat beats is around the corner. Um, You're introduced to these X to the X-Men who are obviously pivotal part of hip hop culture at that time. Um, How did, how did you develop your skills in scratching and 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 obviously and in, in mixing to get to that level where you were on par with some of the guys that were just like the leaders in the game. Practice, 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 practice. At that at that point, I mean, <laughs> if I wasn't in class, I was at Fat Beats. I was at Fat Beats so often that um, I would just you know, this pre cell phone only drug dealers really had beepers, so I would uh. Just tell people, yo, if you're trying to find me, call me at Fat Beats. And nine times out of ten, I would be at Fat Beats. <laughs> and they were so cool. They were like, yo, Neil, this is for you. And they didn't, you know, because I was there all the time. I was literally, I would just hang out with them all the damn time. I'm surprised they didn't kick my ass out, to be honest. <laughs> but they were cool. You know, I, I guess as long as you were cool enough for them not to be like, yo, this this fucking child is annoying the shit out of me. <laughs> like they were fine with you hanging out. Cause they were kind of just sitting there doing nothing as well. Um, so yeah, they, I would just practice. Fortunately, I had the X-Men to kind of guide my way early on. And then later on, I kind of just developed uh, my own thing, which became making mixtapes. And so and, how did you, um, how did you originally like get the idea to start making mixtapes? What was the, what was like some of the early, were there other DJs that were doing that before you were doing it? Obviously I'm pretty sure there was. Okay. There was a couple of DJs who started, you know, every, every DJ made mixes, but in particular, there were two people who kind of got in my way. I, I was part, a different part 
part of a different group of DJs, which were the turntablist kids. So we were all battle DJs. But around 1999, like our day in the sun kind of started to diminish because all these other casts were coming up. And, you know, there's, there's no old timers day. And a, at the time, a two year, like two years was like, you're already an old man. You know, like LeBron, as great as he is, he's an old man. Like he, he's not going to try to be in a dunk cost contest against freaking John Morant. Like it, it, he's just not going to do it. Um, so all these kids are coming up and I was trying to figure out how I could stay relevant and kind of do my thing, but do it with my own twist. Turntablism also kind of got boring. Um, people were just scratching all the time and it, it got to kind of the point where like what happened with jazz. I, I don't know if you're like into Coltrane and stuff like Coltrane mm, is a little great, bit. but if you, if you give Coltrane to a lay person who has no idea what he's doing, it's a little overwhelming. So it mm. was the same thing. Like turntablism got so overwhelming. None of the girls were coming out anymore because they're like, yo, we just want to dance and we want to drink and we want to have fun and we want to go out and blah, blah, blah. I wanted to start making mixtapes. I gravitated toward in particular doing original samples before me. There were many DJs who did original sample mixes, but, no one from the turntables community, with the exception of a kid named Shortcut, who is also partners with one of my part, one of the kids in my crew. And this other DJ named Vinrock also made a mixtape and it really highlighted turntablism. So there was a lot of scratching, a lot of like trickery, a lot of, uh, we call it like four track tricks. So we, we used to use a four track to record, you know, this is pre-computer. This is pre-Pro Tools. This, this is, is when, pre-all that. This is when real DJing went down. A little bit. A little bit more real. <laughs> so I made these mixes on this, you know, ancient machine called a, a four-track or a multi-track recorder. And I guess from there, I really found a a niche. You're in the phase of making mixtapes. You've had some other people kind of influence you. Um, how did you go about what, what originally uh, kind of tickled you you know what what inspired you to do that originally Uh, like i really got into the whole original sample aspect of uh hip-hop music how they made it how they would hear a sample from another record and kind of flip it you know like what premiere was doing and uh, again this is pre-internet so you couldn't just type in google what is the original sample for this song? <laughs> like you had to search through records and hope to find some, um, you would get your hands dusty, which comes, you know, that whole term dusty fingers. And so, yeah, that's was really my initial reason for doing all that. So yeah, that was my initial thing. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, just through all the connections I made, I was able to get them into the right people's hands. Uh, I was able to get them, um, you know, uh, sold, right? Distributed. So Fat Beats would distribute them. Workman's Amoeba out in, uh, whatchamacallit, they would all distribute my stuff. Uh, what ends up happening is, you know, my mixtapes get into the hands of like Sky Galatly. He's one person in particular. He was working at MTV 
by the time I end up uh, becoming his client and he, I don't know if he's the one who put it on, but like all my mixtapes are on the MTV and VH1 servers, like at their office. So everybody's listening to my mixtapes at this point. You know, important people, you know, people who who end up going on to create like agencies that you work with now or people work with now. And, um, you know, eventually that's how I end up getting to work for Jay-Z. Do you end up connecting with, uh, with, is it, was it Scott, Skylar, was it? Is that how you say his name? Yep. Sky, Sky Galatly. Sky Galatly. Now, were you out in the streets um, hustling your mixtapes out of the back of a car as well, or was it distributed through, like, record channels uh, and stuff I like mean, that? Was, how how did that? It wasn't that dramatic. I, that's, you know, that's the story. Like, Jay, Jay would say that, like, I, I used to sell my records out the back of a truck of a car. Not, not that dramatic, but not that far off either. But I just knew the right people to get the hands on them. So it was like Adidas used to sell my stuff. Triple Five Soul used to sell my stuff. I knew someone, I would end up meeting someone at the store that could advocate for me and be like, hey, yeah, absolutely, we'll sell your stuff here. Um, Staple, Jeff Staple, he used to own a store called Reed Space. Um, all my CDs used to get sold there. Um, and actually, Jeff Staple is the one who created my group's first logo um back in 1997 so i've always had kind of the luck or and um i don't know i've I've been really lucky to know well geographical locations probably helped a lot you're if you're in the center point of the melting pot of culture you're gonna and you've got skills, then eventually people are going to notice you. And you're a pretty affable guy. You don't really, um, you're not really intimidating. So, you know, and you've got skills to back it up. So obviously, and obviously you're very friendly. So now can you tell me, um, how did that transition? In, in the early days, um, were you going to clubs like the Tunnel and stuff like that to go see a lot of live acts? I mean, I, we would we would go every so often. Like there was a DJ named Riz who we used to go see every so often. But honestly, like we were in a different group. Like there's absolutely some people who would maybe go to both. But during the time when the tunnel was coming up is when there was the the big divide between commercial hip hop and underground. And we were wholly underground. So we were going to like the New Yorican Poets Cafe where, you know, people who would end up on Deaf Poetry Jam were. Uh, we were hanging out more with like a Talib Kweli than a Jadakiss. Uh, when we were listening to De La Soul and not the locks, you know. So it was... Uh, kind of a different time period but who were some of the who were some of the amazing um acts that you got to see back in that you know like 1990 uh, to like 1996 kind of era that's a that's a tough one i mean like so we used to perform at rocksteady every year since like maybe 1990 to 2002 or 2003 
So anyone who is there, like whatever, MOP, uh, Dilated Peoples, Mob D performed. This is like when they had just dropped Shook Ones, um, you know, their second album. I actually got to see Biggie Smalls and Tupac perform together because at the time they were friends and they performed Party and Bullshit. And they were opening for the far side. This is, this is how long ago this shit is. So the far side was a bigger group than uh, Biggie was at the time. I, I Unless I'm confusing the time I saw Master Ace, but I'm pretty sure. I also got to see Supernatural after he got second in the New Music Seminar uh, rap battle against, uh, like he lost to Mad Skills, I believe. And, oh wait, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. He lost the math skills. So, you know, whatever, pick something. De La Soul, I got to see. Uh, pick pick someone at that time period. I've, I Later on, there was a group named UMCs. I don't even know if you remember their early times, but they were from Staten Island. They got a lot of shit for kind of being, a, you know, a little more soft. And they used to go to the... Oh my God, what is that thing called? They actually had a show on uh, MTV for a while. Lyricist Lounge. So I used to go to all the Lyricist Lounges. So I I, I saw Most Def when he was still with his other group, UTDs, Urban Thermodynamics. I have been in ciphers where, I don't know, Jean Grey before her, 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 she used to be called What What? And I, I've been in ciphers in, in uh, Washington Square Park where what what, what was there. Um, my crewmates, uh, I used to actually kind of be the D, one of the DJs for um, the arsonists. They were the first group that I, I messed around with. Um, so I was knee deep in all that shit, <laughs> like early on. So, so at the I, time, I, you were also you were also doing battle DJing. Um, was yes. the world DMCs uh, a thing at this time, and and was uh, battle DJing kind of a thing? Oh, absolutely, and it was a well well respected thing. Um, and it was, you know, like back then, those that idea of four elements of hip hop was a real thing. Like, if you were a b boy, you knew the other DJs. If you were into graffiti, you knew blah blah blah. Same thing with the rappers. Like, we all kind of had a mutual respect for each other back then. Um, it was definitely a bigger thing and it was about to get bigger. So maybe two or three years later, uh, they were able to get like sponsorship from Yahoo. Um, the prize money was decent. Um, a lot of stores were doing DJ battles. So like guitar center used to have a DJ battle. Uh, one of my, one of the kids in my crew ended up one year. He won like $50,000 just from DJ battling. Was Mixmaster Mike around a lot back in the day as of well? Course, of course. He was, you know, one of the godfathers. We never like by that time he wasn't competing in actual battles. And, you know, so this is where it gets kind of interesting. A lot of those guys, you know, their interest wasn't just culturally in the battle DJ scene. They were trying to make money. They were trying to, figure out how to make a living off of it. So uh, they were, I never saw Mixmaster Mike, like uh, we never hung out. 
personally. Like I've met him, but I never hung out with him like I, how I would hang out with the kids who are actually actively battling. Um, but one cool thing though was a lot of all the turntablist kids tended to be very accessible. So Cuber gave me his phone number and I don't know, I would call him up every so often and he'd be scratching and it wasn't abnormal to do that. So for those who don't know who Cubert is, Cubert is like literally the uh the Jimi Hendrix of scratching. So you know, imagine just calling up Jimi Hendrix. Hey Jimmy, what's going on? Okay, talk to you later. Like <laughs> like that's what it was like. We you can call any of these cats. Same thing with Rob. Rob Swift was really really accessible at the time. Um but yeah, people try were moving to make money. So Mike Mixmaster Mike's of, of course joins up with BC Boys. I think that's his biggest thing and so he's on tour so we never see him um but yeah uh, all, all those guys were accessible but like i said uh in the people who were, was were actively battling were the people i was around a lot more so so around 96 97 98 um you transitioned into mixtapes um and that blows no, no, you up a bit later actually 99 it was a okay. lot late it was a bit later before that, we you know we stopped battling the the core members of Fifth Platoon, my my DJ crew stopped battling, and we start doing a lot of college shows. There at the time was kind of this awakening in the Asian community. So, you know, when I was younger, we didn't in my college anyway, and there wasn't really a lot of Filipinos, but all these kind of cultural groups so that there would be like a Filipino cultural group. Uh, they would all kind of invite us now like, Hey, these guys are making noise in, you know, in the, in the real music world. So why don't we invite them up to talk to us and, you know, that, that type of thing. So we used to go up and down the East coast, all the way down to Virginia and all the way up to, uh, like, you know, we did that this at Harvard. We did this uh, up at UMass and a bunch of those schools up there, uh, Albany, Syracuse. And, um, yeah, we went to Stanford to do some stuff there. Now, Stanford, you on the West Coast, especially the Bay, like the Asian community, uh, Filipino community in particular, had been established already for a while. So they were already doing a lot of stuff um just in general but like yeah we all went out there once to do a show um so we were kind of just grinding it out and then I started making my mixtapes and that's where kind of my trajectory went really crazy and I end up DJing for Jay fantastic so having that um you know Sky as your kind of as your manager how did that yeah. transition in those early days of like hype beast and street culture? You're in the middle of the mix of this melting pot. Um, you're you've gone from being a battle DJ to a mixed mixtape DJ. Um, were you around the Fool's Gold guys a lot, like A Track and stuff like that? Was that no, like obviously? No. Yep, that's a little later. But so A Track after his battle days, he ends up DJing for Kanye. And A Track definitely supplants. Like he he is probably the most recognizable turntablist 
outside of the turntablist world. Um, this is before he starts Fool's Gold. So Fool's Gold doesn't even exist yet. Um, definitely, we we were... I was actually... When A-Track won the DMCs in Italy, I was there, which was really interesting. You, you know, this is what when he's like, I don't know, 13, 14, 15. And wow. we were always around each other. Uh, A-Track's crew we're really good friends with ours of, of ours. So his crew is, uh, Oh my God, the allies. Um, but before the allies were fully formed, there was another group. The, uh, the rest of them used to call themselves the crash dummies until craze and a track joined them. So the crash dummies, which is like Jay smoke, uh, this kid named developed this other kid named spectacular. We, we were, Thickest thieves at that time too, until we really started competing against each other. And then, you know, just as it is, it's like we're in different houses, so we kind of gotta separate ourselves. But to this day, like J Smoke is one of uh, we don't really get to talk as much just because I'm not in New York. But like uh, he's one of those people that probably for the rest of my life, like we we just kind of catch up where we left off. So I, I saw him maybe four months ago. I didn't even get to see my crewmates. I, he, it turns out he lives like down the block from my, the crib that I grew up in. So I just went to say what's up to him. Um, but anyway, yeah, like a track forms fool's gold in 2008. So it wasn't really for, so there was quite a, quite a few years in between that. So early two thousands, um, you, you, your mixtapes are blowing up. Um, and you starting to travel around the world and, and kind of get your own kind of place in, in that whole kind of hip hop kind of genre of like actually touring to like Europe and um, Japan and stuff like that. Yeah, I would say it was mostly. So during those earlier years, uh, it was mostly. I was on the West Coast a lot. Uh, musically, the West Coast was kind of a lot cooler than it was in the East Coast or in New York. In New York, it was slowly becoming uh, Atlanta, Central. So they were not playing New York stuff or older uh, hip-hop soul. They were playing like, uh, you know, ludicrous and just whatever, normal commercial stuff. At, but over there in uh, SF, I could still play like Mary J. Blige's Real Love uh, during the prime time and they still love that in new york i couldn't do that anymore like that i could only do that like early at 10 a.m uh, 10 p.m when there was no one there so i was out there on the west coast a lot more and then probably i'm trying to think where was the first batch of places i went to huh that's uh i don't know if i really went international until Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, maybe, maybe I did. Maybe um, I went to China early on, actually, which is really, really interesting. Because, you know, this is pre-internet time and they weren't just opening up to the world and they were just starting to book uh, foreign DJs. And I ended up going out there. That was probably my first international trip now that I think about it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and then so so that that you know like early 2000s coming into like 2004 2005 um you start uh you get a a blog on hype beast how did you originally meet those guys 
Because they're based out of Hong Kong, I think. Is that correct? I mean, it was all Sky. It was all it was all my boy Sky. Um, I had, you know, our, our contact over there at the time was more Eugene Khan. I may have met Kevin Ma in person, but I don't remember. Um, yeah, I guess I went to Singapore too. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh, interesting. I guess I did start to do more sh- more stuff overseas. I, I just have a vague memory of it. How did you transition into um into into working with Jay? So 2008, um, Jay starts looking for a DJ who can kind of do um like DJ with a band because Kanye starts. You know, Kanye does the whole thing with a band and a DJ. So Jay is like, I want to do that too. From what I know of the story, he actually asked A-Track to do it first. But A-Track had stopped working with Kanye because he wanted to start Fool's Gold. So he he couldn't do it. And um, there was a woman named Vashti Kola who used to work for Jay at Def Jam. Jay is, is Def Jam's president at this time. And he Jay asked Vashti who you should get to DJ and... She's like, oh, yeah, that's easy. You need to get Neil Armstrong. Um, she was a huge fan of my work. Um, and, you know, all at the time, a lot of people in New York, we were just all friends. So Vashti knows Sky. She gets Sky on the horn. And then Sky <laughs> writes me an email, which I still have. You know, and he's like, you're, you're, uh, Neil, you're you're in line to be Jay Z's DJ, and I just kind of I'm just like this is ridiculous, whatever. And then and, yeah, five what, days later, I'm on tour with Jay. <laughs> and what what was it? What was the first time like meeting someone like on that kind of level of fame and fortune? Was he a pretty cool dude to you when you first met him? Yeah, yeah. Um, he actually, I I was unaware of what was happening. I guess it was kind of like I was. I, I guess it was a not a rehearsal, you know, I was trying out, right. I forget yeah. the word tryouts. I basically. guess. I don't know if it was, I, I, I'm really unsure what was happening. I've, I've heard through the grapevine. Like one of my friends told me that, uh, one of my other friends actually tried out auditioned, right. He actually auditioned and I don't know what happened. He didn't take the gig. Um, I never talked to my friend about it actually. Um, but I end up doing it. I land, I go to the rehearsal space. I am completely unprepared because I've been told jack shit. I have told, I've been told nothing. I'm sorry. If I'm, I'm not supposed to be cussing. I'm sorry. No, about you, that. you can cuss as much <laughs> as you like. If you want to say right, fuck, you, you know, can say you know. fuck. I got no a, problem. I got a real terrible, I got a sailor's mouth. <laughs> we like, we like sailor's mouths. Don't worry about All that. Right. So I don't know what is going on. No one's told me anything. And next thing you know, they bring out a pair of turntables. They plop them right in front of Jay, like four feet from him. He says, uh, thank you for doing this. And I'm like, yeah, thank you. Why are you thanking me? I, I don't even know what the hell's going on. And then next thing you know, we're, I don't, I can't remember the first song that we played together, but that was that. I was on my way. So, of course, that opens up this massive door. Uh, this is at the very beginning of of uh, Twitter, like didn't even have the capability to upload video yet. 
I don't even know if Instagram was around. And if it was, it definitely didn't have video yet. Um, really early on in social media. This, and is, actually, my, this I, is MySpace days, bro. Yeah, yeah, for sure. MySpace, Friendster. Bebo um, for the English people out there. <laughs> and um, then I end up blogging for this another site that is no longer a lot around um which is kind of cool i wish i could remember the name of the 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 site but i i can't right now uh it, it was essentially kind of trying to supplant some of like hype stuff i guess uh there was some other people who who did it as well um but anyway yeah i I get to tour with Jay and you know, that further opens up some doors. I after post Jay, I end up getting a, a, a like a, a really full sponsorship by Adidas. I was under, uh, so I, I had a salary from them, I, you know, a full on contract. So I was with them for officially two years, but honestly, I'm even now, even after all the people that used to work with me at Adidas have long left, I'm still pretty brand loyal. Um, so yeah, I still wear a bunch of Adidas, but yeah, that, that's really where everything got really kind of crazy. After and, Jay. and, and, and so, so as you, um, you know, how long you were on tour with Jay-Z for two years, what were some of the crazy experiences and opportunities that arose working with someone like that? And what was it like performing in front of a studio uh, in front of a stadium of such a big, you know, such a big number of people. Um, I remember when we did the Curators of Culture on you a long time ago, uh, you told me the story about you got to play at the um, opening ceremony of the Olympics. Um, obviously, I think because of because of Adidas. I'm not sure if that was with Jay-Z, which I, I don't think it was. Um, no, it, this, this one was with Adidas. And I don't even know, this. this was 2008, so... I guess it was in between the tours, I guess. I went out there. That must be it. Because by 2008, I was already on tour with Jay. Um, Yeah, I was with Adidas. This is before I was sponsored officially by Adidas. And I was at the Beijing Olympics. Um, uh, Yeah, of course, I was really cool. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see any, you know, the Redeem team. I didn't get to see anything because it was just way too hectic. Um, but being with Jay, of course, like, uh, you know, I, I kind of understood why a lot of huge artists turn to drugs and don't, I hope no one twists my words and is like, Oh, Neil advocates. No, no, we we, we want, we like honesty (laughs) on this podcast. That's why we're, that's why we're chatting. You know, you're an honest dude and yeah, Yeah. it is, it is a lonely, it's, it's lonely at the top, as they say. Oh no, not, not even that. my you know, when you're on stage, there's this level of energy that, I mean, it's it's amazing to get yelled at and cheered on by 10,000 plus people. It's something that is very, very difficult to replicate. And remember, I'm, I'm not, they're not even there cheering for me. They're there cheering for Jay. But even just the, the level of energy that gets thrown at you as a, you know, just a a role player, it's insane um, to be, to be in that, to be 
part of all of that. So I think, you know, I, I would in my head, I'd be like, you know what? No wonder people turn to drugs because especially when that no longer exists, you know, when you're no longer a star and you're no longer people don't care about you. Uh, you're trying to replicate that feeling any way you can. And eventually it's like the only way I can feel like that again is if I take drugs, which, uh, you know, it's not, it's, it doesn't even still then I, I can't believe it comes very close to what it's like when it's really there. So I, I, I remember just always kind of thinking that like, man, yeah, no wonder like these stars that, you know, their star has been diminished, like why they search it out. Cause it's, it's like in a very, if, if you get used to it and don't, aren't grounded and you get a taste of it, it's, there's nothing like it in the world. Um, fortunately, by the time I got around to it, I was a lot older already. I was already, I might've been, shoot, 33. So, you know, I was a grown up. but if you get that when you're 17, when you're 15, 16, 17, 18, like, and then your star is no longer shining, you, you're going to lose your mind. You know, it's, it's a, it's terrible. It's like probably a better thing to, to get as a fully formed mature adult where you actually have a sense of self and you can know yourself enough to, I think so. I think so. But uh, you know what? Uh, In, I know at least in certain circles, like um, it seems like a lot of the younger kids who are, involved in the NBA and basketball. Now, of course, I, I don't know them and I don't hang out with them at clubs and what, whatever, but the general, as opposed like to younger guys who would blow all their money on whatever, on girls, clothes, parties, drugs, or whatever, the younger cats really seem to be about their business. They're like, yo, I know what this could be. I know what I could turn it into. I'm not going to do anything to mess up that part of my life. You know, I want to make sure to take care of my mother and take care of my family, those type of things. I've seen that happen. Uh, I, I One of the cooler gigs I used to get to do is the NBA rookie photo shoot. So I'd be around them and the the people who work for the NBA, they were like, you know what? The, these younger classes that are coming in, they're all a lot more serious. They're not just here fooling around. They're They're really here to make a mark and to have some longevity in the league and to maximize uh, essentially financially their opportunities. Uh, I think a lot of the younger DJs that are coming out now, it seems like they're a lot, they're more, they're really about their brand. It's, you know, I would never disparage that because as I said, I was one of the earlier guys to do that, but they seem to be a lot smarter about, how they deal with stuff as opposed to like a lot of my peers who came up, they, they came up when they were younger, uh, 18 to 21. So they were happy getting free drinks, right? Like shoot free drinks when you're 18. Definitely. <laughs> what else is there in the world? But that's all they, they really uh, aspired to. So they never got past that. Um, but yeah, I, I was a lot smarter and I, I think definitely that super high level of, you know, the situation I was telling you about how how it's like when you're on stage in front of all these people. Definitely, if you, if you have a 
better head on your shoulder. It's a lot better to deal with. It's a lot easier to deal with. And so um, did you form a friendship with um, with Jay and with Kanye on a personal oh, level, no, obviously? Absolutely not. Or was there like the <laughs> level of, of like kind of like, you know, I'm just separation? As, I was just his work coworker. Uh, I fortunately when I, de- I mean, I never, I only did a couple of shows with Kanye. Yeah. Um, and I think it was, you know, it was weird. Cause even me at that time, I thought they were kind of the same entity, but no, absolutely not. They're even back then they weren't, uh, Kanye has a whole song called um, big brother where he actually talks about it that like, uh, I don't know, it might've went over your head, but he, there's a line in it where I guess the black album was about to come out and Kanye was, you know, you would have expect Kanye to be able to go, um, go for free. And he says a line that like Carlene, Carlene was Jay-Z's, I guess, personal assistant at the time. He says, you know, whatever at the garden, but um, Carlene told me to buy two tickets. So he wasn't even getting in at that time like that. And he so, actually, so, so he was like, a, he was a pretty private person, was he? Like, he just he comes, does his thing, and then, you know, goes back to what he's doing in his personal life. Oh, Jay. Well, at at the time, he was, he got married to Beyonce when we were on tour, so he was with B all the time. Uh, I probably, if this was in earlier years, it would have been different. Um, I think the the two DJs that. I think Guru, you know, he's been with Guru, doing stuff with Guru forever. So I would say Guru is probably a, really a friend. And before I was around, Green Lantern was with Jay for oh, I, DJ I Green Lantern. Ten years, sick. Oh, he's yeah. a sick DJ. Big fan was, of DJ Green Lantern. Jay, he was with Jay for a long, long time. So I would think they were they're they're still in uh, easier contact. But yeah, no, the, we were in the the B butt, like uh, <laughs> the Z list. We <laughs> we were not around. A, a couple of times he did, you know, he invited us to dinner. Actually, when we were in Paris, and uh, the son of the Prime Minister Mac- Macron, Macron, yeah, Emmanuel Macron, yeah. So Mac- Macron, Macron, I think, yeah. <laughs> he was uh, his son was there. Uh, one time when we had dinner and uh, there was a couple of times when we did a uh, Wembley, we performed at Wembley with Coldplay a couple of, uh, I actually stuck around and this was actually the night that rock Raider passed away. I, I'll never forget it. And I was in the other room. I was waiting for the bus to come get me. And I, I was, uh, I was, you know, I'm, I, I have a, I guess I'm I'm comfortable with the idea of death. Just I, you know, it's just part of the deal with life, right? It's, that's the hundred percent. Uh, um, the only the only three sure things in life are we're going to pay taxes and we're going to die. Right, death and taxes, and um, <laughs> I think the Omar Edwards, who was our um, the musical director, is like O'Neill's in the other room, and Jay comes in. He's like, "What the hell are you doing? Get over here! Come drink with us." So, like, it, he was there. Uh, I forgot. Uh, Rash- Rashida Jones was there. I remember uh, Gwyneth Paltrow came in with his da- her daughter Apple, I guess. Um, yeah, there was a couple of times I was around him, but you know, we're 
Honestly, I don't even know if he saw me in the street if he would recognize me. It's you know I haven't seen him in like ten years, so I don't. I, I he seems like a pretty nice guy from from what I gather. Obviously, uh, yeah, I think you know I I've heard way more worse stuff about Kanye, and I think a lot of it is kind of <laughs> is coming out now. Um, compared. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think Kanye's probably got a little bit of uh, Asperger's or something like that, you know. We, um, so you, you got to do Lollapalooza, and then and then what? What else happened after that with with Adidas? Um, I got to do a bunch of commercials with them. I got to come out to Oz to do that <laughs> event I did. I got to go to New Zealand. I went to Berlin for Fashion Week a bunch of times. Uh, yeah. Um, I did a lot of stuff with the do-over. So where did we go over? Uh, we went to the Philippines. We went to Hong Kong. Um, and yeah, did, you, I got to- did you do any individual, like individualized projects with them, like specific mixtapes for any kind of collaborations yeah, or anything yeah, like we that? Did, I did um, with Adidas directly. I did something for the Nets, which is really funny because I'm a huge Knicks fan. But when the Nets moved to Brooklyn, I did a mixtape called From, From Marcy to Barclays. And um, I released that with Jay-Z's um, website what? at the time, which I forgot what it's called. Title? Life and Times? Oh, no, no. I title. think his website was called Life and Times at the time. Okay. Interesting. So I, did, I did it with those guys. Um, other stuff. That that was probably the biggest one. I did, I did a mixtape for Amon Shumpert when he was still with Adidas, and he kind of did like a – they kind of made uh, repurposed a a crazy eight, which is crazy. The crazy eight is Kobe's, um, I believe, first silhouette with Adidas. So, um, so I, kind of transitioning just, transitioning from like the kind of the more the fame and fortune and the the touring side as a um, as a DJ. Uh, how do you feel about the kind of the involvement of, of DJing and obviously kind of like the, of mixing and um, turntablism in the, you know, kind of in the latter part of the, you know, of the noughties and then into, you know, 2023? Ah, hmm. uh, man, that's an interesting question. I got like, I think, you know, DJing is extremely accessible right now and, Unfortunately, it's not as much of a meritocracy as it used to be. You know, like usually before it was how good you were. And I think that matters much, much less. I think your your marketability is unfortunately the most important thing. And that's not what I would like, but that's the facts. You know, no matter what, if you put me and you put someone like Paris Hilton and you say this person, Paris Hilton's DJing in this room and DJ Neil Armstrong's DJing in this room, Paris Hilton's going to win. That's just a factual statement. Shaq, not for me, she's not. <laughs> sure. You know, of course, there's exceptions to the rule, but anybody else who watches the Kardashians and actually likes that shit, they're not going to come to see me. Uh, Shaq, DJ, you know, What's his DJ name now? She DJ. But isn't is, isn't he actually uh, isn't he actually doesn't he know actually how to mix and stuff and like and he knows I mean, how to scratch. Yeah, Obviously, uh, he's not a professional, he, but he's a lot he, better than Paris Hilton. 
Sure. But on a scale of whatever, if I gave him two records and I said, mix these together right now, the chances that he could do that is probably zero. I, I don't know. He Maybe he is better, but that's from what I know, from what I've seen. Like, DJing is really easy now. Like, you, they have auto BPMs. Songs are made so that they're really easy to mix together. And... You know, it's real. It's just different. It's just a different time period as far as compared to how it was in the '90s. What what the general masses were looking for. Uh, this is not to say that everything is bad now. Um, I think there are t- DJs out there who use the technology to this f- the fullest and do crazy stuff that half the time I look at what they do and I'm like, man, how did you even come up with that? And that usually involves like the Red Bull three style guys. And, you know, there's like a DJ named like four color Zach, a kid named destruct uh, miles Medina is probably someone's name that comes up. A kid named scratch bastard does really cool stuff uh, that actually is not necessarily like that hardcore three style stuff. He's just uh, very musical and has a large musical knowledge. Um, on Twitch, there's a lot of really great DJs, and some of them just play records. Some of them don't even use the technology. They just play 45s, and um, I think stuff, you know, you can hate or love stuff as much as you want or not want to these days. Um, so I like where it is overall. Do you, do you still play sets with um, with vinyl ever? Oh yeah, absolutely. I did a all vinyl set like maybe like two months ago on Twitch. Like Twitch is a really interesting thing, but uh, basically after when COVID hit, Twitch, a, a lot of DJs um, started streaming online. And at first, because of especially the success of D Nice back in the states, you know, like D Nice started streaming on Instagram and. Um, Michelle Obama was in there and blah, blah, blah was in there. And all of a sudden uh, he's actually, you know, turned it into like a concert series. He called it um, club quarantine. He actually played at the Hollywood bowl. Um, Dean nice has been really successful with that. Uh, Questlove used to stream all the time, but I think he stopped. I don't think he does it anymore. Um, so for a while, a lot of DJs were all streaming and then they were like, Hey, well, you know, there's this Twitch platform where we can kind of do that type of stuff and you can monetize on it. And a bunch of people turn to Twitch. So yeah, on Twitch, it'll be crazy. People will play 45s on 33. So all the songs are slow or they'll do a, I, I do like a all city pop set. So city pop is like this Japanese eighties synth pop. Um, you know, there'll be raids where it's just all hip hop all day. They'll do, it's called like Boom Bat Mondays or a Soul Train raid or yeah, you could do kind of anything musically on there. It's really cool. So those and type of aspects I think are great. How do you it's, find social media um is crossing over into your um ability to make you know a living from from DJing these days? Like obviously COVID kind of you know, you didn't get to tour as much and make your bread and butter. Um, I, I what, towards zero. <laughs> yeah. Not as much as zero. <laughs> it turned so, to zero. So, so <laughs> what, 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 how have you transitioned um, into kind of your latter years of, of, of making music? What are you up yeah, to at the moment? You know, like where, where your question is, I'm, I'm still in the process of it, 
Thankfully, you know, I, I do know a lot of DJs who have pivoted. They've gotten day jobs. They they did gig, you know, gig work, uh, Uber Eats. They, they basically went into survival mode. Um, fortunately, it seems like most people were all right. I haven't heard of anybody losing a house or not anyone closer to me, close to me anyway. I myself was always really smart with money. You know, I never bought an Escalade. Um, I always kept my money. I, I bought a crib instead. And so I had some stuff saved. Uh, but, you know, just like everybody, like my savings has been cut into or if if I wasn't doing anything else. Um, I am trying to figure that out right now. Like every time I uh, uh, last year, last New Year's, I had a gig. What happened? COVID shut all that stuff down again. So I. um it has definitely been tough. I have started to do to work again. Honestly, if I had if I lived in New York City, um, I would be working a lot more just because I, I just have a bigger network over there than I do here in Japan. But as it turns out, I am living in Japan now indefinitely, um, for at least the next two or three years. And I am really trying to figure out what's next. I do love music, but thankfully I am one of those people that uh, I had a day job before, so I'm not a complete Muppet, you know, like I I, I can do other stuff. <laughs> uh, I, I do have an interest in, in uh, doing something though that is still music related. And uh, that's actually something I'm working on. Um, I don't want to, I, I'm one of those dudes who I don't want to talk about it until it happens. Right. So, mm. um, there's and, something and, I have in the works. Let's <laughs> just say that. And how do you see turntablism um, as a genre of music kind of uh, being respected in today's society from, you know, these millennials and, you know, kids that probably didn't grow up in the era mm. that, that you did where, you know, where scratching and mixing was so much more difficult. How do you see that kind of obviously that? The, I mean, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. You didn't cut me off at all. I'm just curious about what, you know, like as a, you know, as a, as an old school head, like where do you see that kind of that skill set, you know, being, where does it lie in in the 21st century? So oddly enough, I mean, there's a, I'll answer a couple of things. So first you asked me about the social media stuff, right? Mm. And unfortunately, Outside of you building in an audience, you know, within your immediate realm, uh, social media, in particular, Instagram, TikTok, are tools that you should view as tools. These are tools to get your stuff out. Um, my most recent, really interesting uh, experience with that was I actually... I don't get to go back to New York very often, but I had gone back and I, I have a lot of like um, dead stock CDs, right? People stopped buying CDs for a long time. And I have, I just have a bunch laying around. So I was like, you know what? Why don't I try to sell them for super cheap, two bucks, you know, whatever, just, just get rid of them. Just because if I don't, I'm just going to throw them in the garbage. Right. And I started experimenting with experimenting with Instagram. This is when reels showed up 
And I, I don't know if you've been on Instagram. I, I, I do know you're on Instagram, right? But Instagram's not what it was a year, two years, three years ago. It's, it's entirely different. No, the uh, algorithm's totally different. And it's, you know, it, I mean that, it changes constantly. Right. But in particular, like Reels is the most important and the algorithm's different. Like my friends would tell me like, yo, Neil, I don't even, if I, if I don't go to your page, and these are my friends, right? This is not some random customer. They're like, I don't see your posts unless I go specifically to your page just to check it. You know, like it's it's just different. It's a different game. So I really try, I, I was trying to figure out how to engage again with, with my audience. And I did something, I did some experimenting and I actually was using kind of reselling my older titles on CD, which is a dead right? It's a, a dead medium for the most part. I sold, I hesitate to give you a number because I don't remember, but I sold out of like a hundred CDs, which is not a lot, right? But I didn't think I would sell two. <laughs> like clearly I was able to push this out to an audience that was interested in, in that particular product. So if, if you use Instagram, not as just this, you know, thing of what it was before, which was kind of more like maybe a, a a visual diary. If you utilize it as a tool, it could be an extremely powerful tool in pushing your, your brand and pushing your product. So I, I think Instagram overall, as long as you understand that's what's happening with it, I, I think uh, you should love it. Because you you have another tool at your disposal. Now, if you're looking at it and you're like, I don't believe uh, this mofo is like posting pictures of him or her dancing and they're getting a million likes. Yeah, it's going to piss you the hell off like every time you look at it. Because it's like, this is just not for me. But yeah, you know, we're, not, we're not seven years old. Right. You know, I'm like, I'm not. And the, the algorithm, the Chinese government uh, has got the algorithm. So in America, in the Western world, it's to dumb us down. The, the, the dancing videos and the, 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 the fail, I, fail I, videos, I don't know. they're I, encouraged. I, and then the, the science videos and the, you know, the encouraging I mean, kids to be intellectual in China. Are, I don't know. I've seen that. Well, I've seen that whoever said it, I don't know the... I really don't know the the proof he has, but like I don't know. There's there's flaws in that argument. Like number one, the algorithm really to me is a is a mirror of the society. Like you could try to blame it on the algorithm, but this is what people want to see. Like that's facts. That to me, that's facts. I don't know what I, I've never looked at TikTok in China. So if what he's saying is true possibly but for me it's more like yo you know all just like they say like money all money does when you have it is show more of what you are like some people get money and they become philanthropic and they take care of other people and other people just become more greedy and more capitalistic and don't give a damn about anyone else but their themselves i i you know, that's where the algorithm starts initially, at least. Um, until, of course, that algorithm is meant to just make money, 
right? <laughs> then it then it's just who you know, just whoever makes more money, and then it just goes downhill. But yeah, I, I've seen that video as well. I'm a little, you know, especially stateside. There's just a lot of anti anti China sentiment, and um, to me, it kind of when I've seen it, the comments always kind of echo that situation. You know, they. Well, why is China doing that and not to us? And they're trying essentially like it's China's fault that America is dumb, right? That's that's almost uh, at least half of the comments indicate that. Like, no, you you guys are dumb because you want to buy three hundred dollars sneakers when you're in um, your sixth grader, and that's what you want to do. You know, like that. That's why you're dumb. You you want to implement? You want to implement? Uh, emulate like the worst of what we put forward and you ridicule anyone who does anything else that that's what I've seen. I could be wrong. Absolutely. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I really wish I could see some scientific proof to, uh, cause I, I don't, you know, I'm not in China. I have no idea what they see over there, but I know plenty of dumb Chinese people like, <laughs> like not dumb China. Like I know plenty of people in China who all they do is post them drinking bottles and uh you know popping bottles over there is still a huge thing so that's all they're posting up they're they're having fun in clubs so yeah i don't know i don't know if that's true or not so but it is yeah go ahead one a couple last questions um before i leave you to it because i know it's starting to get late there and um in tokyo all good, all good. Um, how are you finding uh living in um in Japan and have you gotten involved in the kind of DJ scene there? Cause obviously I've been to Japan many times for right. film trips, for skiing and stuff like that. Um, Tokyo is probably my favorite city in the world for a megatropolis. Um, and there is a really big scene of, of turntablists and, and, and aficionados of classical American things, especially hip hop, low riders, um, you know, and obviously right. probably DJ culture. How, how have you find found that? Um, well, you know, COVID really screwed a lot of stuff up, but even before COVID, when I was out here, it was, uh, more for family time. So I wasn't actively trying to go out very often or really pursuing that, uh, meaning like DJing out here. There are a lot of different scenes. Um, a lot of the DJs I do know are, in you know foreign DJs who are over here or foreigners or uh, who have lived here for a long time, um, and they have their own, kind of a bunch of their scenes. Uh, one thing I think universally true about the music scene out here is that they are very musically diverse. And um, for example, in the club scene back in the states, like at least pre-COVID, really it's just whatever was playing on the radio that people wanted to hear. And generally speaking, when you would go to a, a club that, like a Vegas club, you couldn't play anything except those type of club hits or radio hits. Um, you know, that's, I think, one of the general complaints of a lot of DJs back home that, uh, the club scene kind of sucks. They hate it. They hate the club scene. You know, like Steve Aoki is 
not the greatest DJ, but he's a great entertainer. And if you want to do well in Vegas, you're going to probably have to play, you know, that fist pumping type of kind of vibe. Um, here in Japan, they don't seem to have those type of boundaries. They really just like good music. So certain parties do really well. Uh, certain DJs do really well out here where you can be a lot more eclectic and you can play interesting stuff. There's a DJ, uh, uh, I always mess up his last name, but Coco, they call him DJ Coco. All he plays is 45s and he'll play like a Japanese version of um, Gyp uh, Gypsy Woman. Um, you know, she's homeless, right? That song, but a Japanese version on 45. He'll play that and he'll also play Gangstar and he'll also play uh, Stevie Wonder and people love all of it. If you play Stevie Wonder in a Vegas club at the wrong time, you will empty that party out. You will get booed. I promise you. But over here, they don't care about all that stuff. So I find this scene amazing out here. You know, it, um, I think it's great out here. Then you're you're right to say like they have a a, a large uh, international kind of audiences music. seem to appreciate um, you know music a little bit more. Um, there was a recent interview that Tony Yayo did from G Unit about how they they were just recently fifty and him went on tour to Armenia. And he was saying about how the international crowd appreciates, you know, the 90s, early 2000s hip hop so much more than, you know, the people in New people York or, or the oh, people yeah. back home. I, I, think it, I think in general, that's a, a general truth for a while now, right? Um, so, yeah, over here in particular, I think it's great. Um, but just like anywhere, I think there's like uh, different camps of, of DJs. There's a guy named DJ Muro who's been around forever and, I don't know how often he mingles outside in these other groups. Um, I, you know, I don't know what scenes are what right now. Um, a bunch of the big clubs in Tokyo actually closed down recently. One of them is um, Vision. Another one is uh, Ageha. That one closed as well. Uh, of course, during COVID, that really kind of screwed everything up. But yeah, I do plan to do more out here. I haven't um, because of COVID, essentially. But also, yeah, it has to be, I like doing the right parties. There's a lot of cool parties that are a little more throwback, um, you know, and that tends to be more of my thing. There was another question you asked, actually, about some of the younger cats. So, you know, in even though the internet didn't exist when I was, you know, up until whatever, 94, 95, 96, right? I think the, the internet officially started in 90, 94, 95. I know I already had email by 90, 95. Um, but I knew all the DJs in the hip hop world, at least. And then big DJs in house, you know, I knew who Carl Cox was. I I've heard of him. I knew who Armin Van Helden was, but Armin also actually, he did hip hop stuff. So I knew him from that, but I had heard, 
you know, I knew who Frankie Knuckles was. I knew all these things, even though I wasn't a house head. And of course, all the DJs, I knew or had at least heard of all the DJs because there was magazines that wrote about them. And there was, even if you were disconnected, I knew who like uh, Michael 3000 Watts was, who was all the way in Houston. You know, I, I knew these people. But I don't know if that exists today. There's no magazine that's going to write about DJ Neil Armstrong. There's no magazine who's going to write about uh, anyone I know, even a, a craze or whatever in the in the vein of like, this is someone who you need to know. So I've met multiple DJs who have no damn idea who I am. And they're basically doing what I did 20 years ago. There's this uh, one DJ and he's great. Like he's really good on, on uh, Instagram. Um, and actually I'll mention him cause I, I think he's great. Uh, his name's DJ supply and a, uh, not everything about his Instagram is this, but he does this whole series where he kind of explores original samples. So he'll play the original sample, he'll play a hip hop version of it. And then, you know, someone who remixed it and he'll flash like a bunch of factoids about the group or, you know, the song or the, you know, the, some, some really cool information. He'll throw it, show it. And on Instagram, he he does really well. A lot of views, a lot of likes. I think on, on TikTok as well. So, um, so his name's DJ Supply, and he's essentially doing what I did with Original, which I released in 1999. So over 20 years ago, right? He's doing the same thing except for this new social media platform, and he had no he had no idea who I was like zero. He he's like, Oh, I, I, I think I've heard your name, but, uh, I'm not sure. And then, you know, I told him, I was like, Oh, I, I also used to DJ for Jay. And he's like, yeah, I definitely have heard of you, but my mixtape, he's never heard any of my stuff. And, and that was unheard of back in the day. You know, that like th that would have never happened. There's no way I couldn't be a hip hop fan and not know who DJ scratch is. Like it's impossible. But today, even with all our information at hand, there's almost too much information. Probably, or you know, there's just. I think Instagram ruined everything. I think it became. The, <laughs> it's because uh, everyone's attention span has gone from right. five minutes to two minutes it's to two, three seconds. Not even. 50, you're you're not wrong. In, in fact, I mean, the most obvious way that this is a, a truth is people make music like songs are not even like two minutes long now they're they're you know half of them they make them so that they'll go viral um and it's unfortunate because you know when you really look at what's the cause of that well because people want to make money so how do i get my stuff to people you know so i can make more money and you know that that's it's ultimately one of the bad sides of capitalism it just kind of ruins everything it really it really ruins everything when you didn't care about money that you know they i think the best art comes out once it's like well i got to figure out how to make money off of this it just inevitably becomes different 
Um, I, I also met another DJ uh, who is Filipino. So in my day, like, especially if you were a Filipino DJ, you knew who your elders were. Like I knew who Kubert was. I knew all these people were, but he meets the, like the kid meets me and he's like, Oh, I'll look you up. I've never heard of you. And I'm like, you know, I, I have no ego about those things. Cause I, you know, that happens, but I'm like, seriously, dude. And he literally does the same shit I've been doing. <laughs> like for, he, he actually does an R and like an R and B party. Right. And that was my, that was my breath. I, I made a mixtape called sweet at the time when a turntablist was playing Wu-Tang Clan exclusively. Sweet was all art. Like it was a completely an R and B mixtape, you know, like how, so if you've never heard of me, you'd never heard my mixtapes. How is, you know, to me, that's like, how is this possible? How's there this massive of a disconnect? But at the same time, I made my mixtapes 20 years ago. So how is he supposed to know? Right. Well, and do you think, do you think that they're obviously um, things go in cycles? Uh, tangibility is kind of starting to make a resurgence, you know, like records sure. and, you know, right. so do you, right. do you, do you see like, uh, do you think that there is actually an interest in like people seeing live acts of like actually where you're scratching and, and, and actually doing what you used to do on, on vinyl? Well, people, you know, people have uh, often said that, but like, so, you know, like in the eighties, there was all those big hair bands, right? You know, mm -hmm. whatever, Quiet Riot, uh, you know. Frankie goes to Hollywood. <laughs> um, well, I was talking more about the rock guys, right? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So Quiet Riot, Bon Jovi, not, well, Bon Jovi's not the best example, but. Same thing. Uh, Poison, all those other bands, like I, there was a actually. Glam Rock. Uh, Motley Crue. They called them hair rock, right? I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think more like glam. Yeah, glam. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, like Motley Crue and and yeah, uh, Skid Row. Skid yeah. Row. Glam rock is actually a little bit before, and that's yeah. more like um, T Rex and those guys. Yeah. So those guys, the hair bands, they call them hair bands. I yeah. Think. So in the eighties, of course, they were huge, and they all said like in the nineties, they were like doing shows at like some podunk festival in um, Albany, you know, it, it went from playing Madison square garden to doing these small venues just cause, you know, the interest wasn't there, but in this particular movie, I'm pretty sure it was a quiet riot documentary. They were like, you know, in the two thousands, all of a sudden there's, there's mass, this massive resurgence of eighties nostalgia. Mm. So Now we see this again, there's this massive, uh, resurgence of 2000s nostalgia mm. but unfortunately Especially with sneaker culture and streetwear and stuff like you you lived in the middle in the beginning of that with you know all the supreme dudes harold hunter james jebbia um you know all those you know triple five soul um what else um extra large uh mm. all those all those original um uh, you know obviously babe um what else was another um Mish, uh, Mishka. Um, Mishka's a lot later. Yeah, Mishka a little bit later. Yeah, obviously that's like Bobby Hundreds era, but you know, like that. You know that, but then again, that is it's kind of all overexposed now. It doesn't have the same kind of level of like cult following. You know, like back in the day, it was like being a skateboarder. Like you kind of knew who skateboarders were, and 
and you know same with kind of that that street culture you know and sneaker i I definitely i could see that i could see that for sure sneaker stuff seems not to be about what your collection is now it seems more to be about like how much money you made from reselling those sneakers it's not about like rocking them 100 percent. the sneaker culture is i think universally almost everyone i know from the earlier era really dislikes the current iteration and i i don't know if there's ever going to be a a proper return you know it's just like hip-hop will never be like it was in its early time before it became pop pop music it's just never it's always going to be different because the audience is different and sneaker culture's audience is different you know back in the day like uh non-urban people did not wear air force ones like everyone wears air force ones now and that's not what it was before like there's a reason why they're called uptowns because they were only worn by people who were from harlem and uptown and now you know some five-year like a a a fifth grader in arizona who has no relationship to hip-hop wants their mom to buy them air force ones so it's it and just entirely different audience now. But what I was saying was with this whole resurgence now of 2000s because of DJ equipment and DJ availability and musical availability you don't actually have to hire a DJ from the 2000s to play this stuff. All you got to do is go to Spotify, look up a 2000 best of 2000s uh playlist download it to your computer or however you use Serato or however you use your controller and you could play it yourself with no knowledge of what was happening. But there's still, there is still something though in that tangibility of seeing someone perform. I remember. I mean, um, I would, I sure. I would love it, but no one's calling a bunch of 2000 DJs to come out and DJ again. They're just no, doing- but they're but they're you know they're, <laughs> I think it I, I think it's kind of the case of like these kids don't know so if you build it maybe they'll come you know I don't know it's tough man you know like you you know you don't a a lot of the DJs I know who were DJing at the time are like now are like forty five fifty years old yeah they don't they don't know any twenty one year olds. They don't yeah. know any 30 year olds. Yeah, well, they maybe it was just kids. a time, maybe it was just a time <laughs> period of, of, of glory. And then now it is what it is. Possibly. Um, you know, the, the artists themselves will do fine, you know, like 50 cent. I, I, I've seen them like they're, they're out performing again. Um, you know, rock the bells has been trying to do a lot more with the older artists out here stateside anyway. I'm sure older artists just in general do well over, you know, overseas as well. But as far as the DJs go, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, and it sucks. You know, there there are DJs out there who kind of have hit a certain tipping point of where it doesn't matter how old they get, what they do, they're always going to be able to work and be at uh, operate at a high level a uh, prime example jazzy jeff i think another one to a certain extent is like someone like red alert who's been around for probably since the beginning of hip-hop and you know he still has this level of respect that will never wane 
Um, Funkmaster Flex is another one. You know, I think forever he's just going to be operated at a very high level. But a lot of DJs, you know, I can name 10 DJs right now who were massive in the turntables community that don't even do it anymore. I can name a bunch of radio DJs that I used to know that just no one knows anymore. They've stopped or, you know, they had to pivot. It's, they say, you know, hip hop is a young man's game. So it's hard. It's hard to stay in it forever. Uh, the people who do stay in it for a very long time are very, uh, you know, they're part luck, part, uh, you know, hard work. So it's tough. I'm in, I'm interested to see what happens. I do know, like, I remember pre COVID all the nineties stuff, there was an, essentially they didn't say it was, but it was like a nineties party in Miami that was massive. Like it was in this huge warehouse there must have been at least 2,000 people in there. Um, and this is on like a Monday night. And it was the the day after New Year's Eve, which usually is dead because everyone's beat up. And it was mad. It was huge. And all they were playing was the stuff we used to play in like 95, 96. They were playing Real Love, Mary J. I, I, I mentioned that earlier. That's what they were playing in Miami the the one of the epicenters of of edm you know and um yeah it's definitely out there however like i said this group of people they didn't have to hire a dj from years ago they just downloaded the music themselves as opposed to like before if you wanted to play 90s hip-hop you had to go buy records buying records is not easy Mm. You know, those records are not out anymore. They're, the only way you can get them then is, well, I have to hire a DJ who has these records. Mm. Nowadays, that's not what's happening. Like, they just download it themselves and they spin it themselves. And did you ever have any interest in ADM music or it was just you, you're a hip hop? You're, you're, as uh, I mean, Mo, Mo Cislak, uh said, I, I was born a snake handler, I'll die a snake handler. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Like, you know, that term EDM really gained a lot of traction. Early 2000s. Right. At, sure. Like 2005, 6, 7, 8, you know, when Fool's Gold came around and the, the, a lot of like older turntablists, older uh, hip hop heads started spinning it. It wasn't, that term wasn't around. So I like house music. Absolutely. I'm from, I'm from New York. Um, Filipino DJs also used to love spinning house. We like, uh, that's why, I don't know if you're aware, right? But New York style of DJing is more like a Kid Capri, you know, uh, you kind of slam the record in, right? And you talk, right? So you play a record and you say, one, two, three, four, you know, drop the next record or whatever. Everybody put your hands up, drop the record. That is really a kind of a New York style of DJing. The Filipino DJs in New York used to listen to a lot of house. So they all would all mix their records together. And um, yeah, so house is big. So I'm talking about Louis Vega. I'm talking about Masters at Work. 
I'm talking about Frankie Knuckles. I'm talking about, um, you know, that type of stuff. And did but, you ever have any projects that you put out in that kind of genre? Yeah. Uh, Oscillate Wildly was kind of like a house. It, it was all synthesizer music. So there was a bunch of house on there um, that I just generally call house. But yeah, at some point it became, it called got called EDM and there was, you know, dubstep and blah, blah, blah. And, um, but even back in the day when house was huge. So, you know, I used to go to limelight and that's what they used to play there, but there was always a small room in the back where they played hip hop. And that was always my refuge. Like after maybe 15 minutes of being in the club, I'd be like, nah, I'm cool. Like, you know, essentially like <laughs> from what I gather, if you, you're really into drugs, that's, the music for you. <laughs> so I wasn't really much into drugs. So I, I, after a while, like just that incessant noise gets, uh, too much for me to deal with. Um, so, so yeah, I was, I was in hip hop head mostly for sure. And in this modern era of, um, of kind of, uh, you know, pretty shitty hip hop being released in my opinion, <laughs> um, where everyone's the same and, you know, there's not a lot of originality. Um, what is someone, you know, as versed as you listening to? What do you like? Do you like the new game album that just dropped? Uh, are you listening to like Young Young Thug or Little Yachty or whoever? Yeah, that's, the- a, that's a really interesting question, man. So oddly enough, one of the things on Twitch is they play a lot of new music. So, you know, that whole statement that there's no good music out right now is is somewhat unfair there there is really good music out right now you just kind of have to search for it oh i still Um, think there's a lot of good music out there but i just don't think that it's celebrated like it used to be oh well 100 percent. so most of the good music doesn't bubble up so i like are you up on coast contra yet for example no no i'll I'll check that out i see me I, i listen to a lot of j electronica but you know, obviously, that's a little bit older, right? Um, but I'm open. <laughs> right to, I'm now, open. Jay, I'm Jay open Electronica to. Electronica is like freaking. That you might as well be like, what do you listen to? Grandpa's music right now to these kids? Basically, like they don't. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even listen. You no, know, they're all listening to that. To people like the Kid Leroy and, um, you know, um, you know, a bunch of other fucking names that I, you know, can't Dude, remember. Dude, I don't even know. I, if I talk to an average, like a 18 year old, I don't even know what they're listening to half the damn time. Like it's, and, and you know, that's my fault. I'm not even blaming the kids, but um, on Twitch, there are actually a lot of DJs. Like they, all they do is play new music and some of the new music sounds old, you know, like it, it sounds like older stuff and they, they put disco songs out. And um, I do like a lot of that stuff. Um, like Boogie, um, there is that group Coast Contract. Actually, I believe one of the kids who raps in it is one of Raskaz's kids. Um, you know, of course, there's like the Griselda guys. Like, I think some of that stuff is cool. As far as like stuff I, that seems I, like I, I fuck with Griselda. Griselda is incredible. They're yeah, like a modern see, day Wu Tang. Sure, they're amazing. Yeah, yeah. So you know, things like that I like, but of course a lot of that stuff I really wouldn't play in the clubs or I didn't before nowadays, the clubs are such a, it's such a weird landscape. 
You know, there's people who play just t- like they have an actual TikTok set. They just play songs that are hot on TikTok for a little while, just for a little bit. Um, and these kids who are growing up listening to TikTok, that's, you know, they they all know the songs, so they lose their minds over them. Um, besides that, though, it's almost all the new music that I hear is from another DJ on Twitch. I, I guess the DJs that I work that I I like to follow are really essentially really good tastemakers. Like they, we all have similar musical taste, and they just have actually have the time to search through everything to find like the really dope stuff. So it, it's out there. Um, it's just do, uh, and, and do you, do you find any fun. kind of interaction with the old old versus the new? Like, do you interact with any of those young DJs and? Do they have any kind of nostalgia to what what you guys did back in the day? Uh, well, I think universally, uh, the 2000s era is hot to most people. And I'm not just talking about hip hop. I'm talking about like uh, like that. Hold on. Who? Miles song. Like uh, that Vanessa Carlton song, A Thousand Miles. Like. People are playing that in the club at prime time because, mm. you know, the kids who are in the club now, they grew up on that music, right? That's when they were in high school or elementary school. So now that they're adults and they're going out, they have some nostalgic connection to those type of songs and that type of music um, across the board. Like, it, again, it's not just hip hop genre or whatever, like all of that type of stuff. They all, that seems to be really hot in the clubs. Uh, a lot of the DJs I've spoken to have gone as far to say like the new stuff that's out, they don't even, that's not what's hot. So mm-hmm. back in the day, we would play like older stuff early, right? The opening hours when there wasn't a lot of people. Yeah. And then come around midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., then we play all the current hits. I know a lot, like at least five DJs were like, yo, I'm playing the current hits early. And then when it's prime time, I'm playing freaking Vanessa Carlton. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I don't know if that, I, I have a couple of theories on how that happened. I think for sure one of the things is when COVID happened, I think there was, you know, a batch of uh, adults who were kind of still had their, their foot, like one foot still in the club, the other foot in the family life or, you know, having a job or whatever. And I think a lot of those people just, they got wiped out. They're like, well, I'm not going out anymore. I don't want to die. So they leave and there's this massive vacuum. All these new people come in, uh, the younger kids come in who don't have the type of, uh, I, I guess the word is like genealogy. So, you know, Will, like, why do you like Wu-Tang? And, uh, and um, this is a hypothetical. dope as fuck music. That's why, right, I, but, you know, like, I like, right. I like dope oh, wait, music. Wait, 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 not that. The, like, That's why I fuck with Griselda. I know you like Wu-Tang, right? 
So I probably can imagine you also like the hieroglyphics, right? You like yeah, very you know, much so. I also it, can imagine you like dilated peoples. I also I do, but the majority people. of the reason that I listened to those to that music was, you know, I, I grew up in in uh, you know in Australia, and then obviously I, when I was a pro skier, I grew up in in ski towns around the world, um, and you know I'd go to California a lot, and I was exposed to rap. I still remember. Um, listening to Nas for the first time when I was like probably nine or nine, eight or nine years old. My older cousin played it for me when I went to Pittsburgh. Um, you know, like, but the the way that I got introduced to music was through ski movies, surf movies, snowboard movies, and skate movies. So the majority of my musical taste started with punk rock, you know, Pennywise, No Effects, Gutter Mouth, all that kind of stuff, because that was like West Coast, influence and epitaph records had you know their that, that's how they blew up all those bands was let it giving away free music to all these emerging action sports um kind of movies that were massive in the late 90s early 2000s and then hip-hop in the same kind of way you know so i wasn't as exposed to it because i'm so geographically ostracized in the middle of nowhere in the south pacific whether it's well, someone like you, you're you're it's right in front of you. You walk out the door and it's right in front of your face. Sure. Well, I mean the the point of it wasn't really to uh I, I didn't get to finish. Like I know you like all these groups, right? Yeah. I, I, I mentioned all these groups and I know you like them. Yeah. But if you ask a kid today, why do you you know if someone likes a song by the Wu Tang clan? they don't necessarily like Nas. Mm. They don't necessarily like um, uh, MF Doom. They don't necessarily even know who MF Doom is. These Mm. kind of lines of relationships that we just naturally grew up with earlier, they don't have that because a lot of their taste is dictated by Spotify and Apple iTunes. So if they say that I like a Sean Paul song, right? And they look up a Sean Paul song, it doesn't say, all right, well, you should go back and look at Supercat and you should listen to a Supercat song because it's also the shame genre. Sean Paul, most likely is going to put up a song that Sean Paul did with Lady Gaga. So the algorithm pushes them in an entirely different direction. So even like Bad Bunny is an interesting example. Bad Bunny is really huge. All the DJs kind of joke like they're sick of people asking for Bad Bunny. One of my boys played a Bad Bunny. He's at a party and they're like, yo, can you play some Bad Bunny? And um, he's like, yeah, sure. So he plays like Bad Bunny's first album from years ago. And they did not not know it. Like so, how how can you be a fan of Bad Bunny and not know it? Because that's the algorithms. So, you, so you basically what you're saying is that the algorithm is kind of like setting the taste of music. In uh, a way. Absolutely, the the way kids listen to music is entirely different now. They're not lo- reading about it in magazines. They just put on Spotify and they whatever Spotify puts up. That's probably like, oh yeah, yeah, I like that. Sure, hmm. I like that. So their tastes are different and all all that to say that there is a, just a massive disconnect between 
how we used to listen to music and how kids today listen to music. A, a, a big song on TikTok for a while is like Mint Condition, Pretty Brown Eyes. They know it, but they only know that song. They don't know other Mint Condition They don't songs. know the artists. They don't know where they're from. They who usually they're, don't. Who, yeah, they're, they who their do. mother is, what their favorite color is, all that kind of stuff. That, yeah, you know, they don't cut out posters and put them on their walls and idol, idealize those people as much. Not it doesn't seem like it. I, and now, like if you look at a K-pop group or you know, like um, something like that, yeah, I'm sure that's what they do still. But that's but, a, that's yeah. a little bit of a different a different culture. That you know, obviously, Korea is very progressive. But then there might be other social norms in Korea. I've never been to Korea. Um, well, that, so that's the thing. Like that, so what you just said is something I would have said. But K-pop is not like yo. They have K-pop parties here in in new york or not here in japan <laughs> in new york they have k-pop parties and it's not a bunch of korean people there's everybody k-pop is massive in mm. in my friend does a whole a k-pop party in uh san diego i didn't not see one korean person there it was everyone else and that's like funny K-pop- because i remember going the last time i went to a really big club in la which is pre-covid one of my friends who's a big EDM DJ uh, played and the majority of the people that were at the club were all Korean. So yeah. that's, that's kind of ironic that it's the role yeah. reversal. <laughs> I get, I mean, historically in New York, like Koreans, because they, they, you know, they, they hold their language so close to them and they, they had their own, like they, they would have like a, when you said like uh, it's a Korean party in New York, it really was a Korean party and just Korean people there. But it's, it's a different time now, dude. <laughs> like it's a, I, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it until I saw it. I was shocked. Like I, I'll send you some footage of my boy's party. And it, it was kind of a running joke. Like he asked me, he was like, would you do a Korean party with me? I was like, you would have to like drug me up and um, plug my ears and I would have to mix by looking at Serato because I'll kill myself. If I, have to listen to <laughs> I love your and, honesty. And that's just me, man. Like, I just don't like certain, like, I, I really don't like K-pop. Um, I have heard a lot of it. It's actually uh, morphed a lot. Uh, it, it's just pop music now. And every so often they do speak in Korean, but it's like they're rapping uh in english often they're you know it's whatever it's just it's just pop music now Uh, it just happens to be by uh korean based artists pretty much and it and when you know i i i think he me and my boy are really close so he knows i'm not trying to diss him like I'm not being like, yo, you're whack for doing this. Cause I honestly, I think he's a genius. He's smart because he's going to be one of the earlier people who has essentially cornered that market while everyone else is playing catch up. So I, I think it's brilliant what he's doing, but me personally, I'm just not really into that music. So I, I would be a bad fit for that. Um, but yeah, dude, it's, it's ill. Will like you, you wouldn't imagine it, but K-pop is hundred percent just pop music now. So, if you so. <laughs> were to, if you if you were a aspiring eighteen-year-old musician or DJ or artist in the twenty-first century in twenty twenty-two, 
Um, you're pretty w- well versed in technology. Um, you're an early adopter on, uh, you know, of, of using your brand being bigger than just your music, um, especially as a DJ. And you've been around some of the biggest artists of the last probably 20, 30 years um, on a quite an intimate level. Um, what would your advice be to a young to a young artist in that position that you were in when you walked into um, Ooh, that record really, shop? That's a real interesting question. I mean, you know, it's sad to say from one aspect that, you know, these kids on TikTok, these kids using utilizing social media, they're getting very successful very quickly. And if your goal is to be a successful artist, I think that really is a very important thing to know how to utilize uh, social media. I, I don't know how much you read or heard about like uh, the biggest hip hop song as far as I know, unless something has changed in history, is Lil Nas X, um, Old Town Road. As far as I know, I, I could be wrong, but I remember them it's saying actually, that. Actually, I don't really like Lil Nas X, but that song is pretty bomb. I like it. And it, <laughs> it makes every, even my grandma likes it. Everybody right. likes it. It's kind of like when Rick Rubin put Aerosmith with uh, Run with DMC, Run DMC um, sure. back in the day. Um, sure. It, it's it's resurrected Billy Ray Cyrus's career. Um, sure. Even my dad likes that song. I, I think that's I, I, I actually I actually bump that. Like it's pretty. It's actually pretty dope. But you know, that's traditionally, true. I'm my my favorite artist in the world is is Delta Funky Homo Sapien. So and and Big L. So um, but I still like that song. But the rest of his music is pretty much not really my thing. You know. Right. Um, so do you, do you know how that song got so big? Do you know the genealogy or? No, know, no, no, that, no. Explain it to me. I'm very interested. What, what, well, what, what's I mean, the do, do, a, do a look up, the, do a YouTube look up. But basically, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if Lil Nas X is the first person to do it or anything like that, but he is the, the, a person who did it to the point where this song is the largest hip hop song in history. Um, the, uh, and I believe that means like the number of streams or sale or something, but basically he gamed the system, right? So he made this song. He started giving it to TikTokers to create a viral dance. He would go on Reddit and I don't know what the term is, but basically post like not as him, but be like, hey, what's that song that they keep playing for this, you know, Old Town Road Challenge? So he creates this buzz on Reddit and he, he did that. He orchestrated all of it. Like he's a kid. He's 17 it's, years it's old. Mo- okay. It's modern day selling out of the back of your car though. A hundred percent. You know what I mean? Percent, you are absolutely, I hundred percent agree with you. It's reversing. hundred percent, hundred percent agree with you that he hustled it that big that it ends up getting in Billy Cyrus's freaking hands. Like he hears it. And then Billy Cyrus, I don't know if he challenged Billy Cyrus to do it. Like, but Billy Cyrus ends up on this song. But what, what a genius that Billy Ray Cyrus was because now he's relevant again. A hundred. And before, before he was just Miley's dad. Exactly. Two million percent. You are a hundred percent right. Like how smart was it for him to do that? 
How and that's why Snoop's that's how what that's what's kept Snoop so relevant is he collaborates with with everyone. You know, he's got songs right, with right. Psy, he's got reggae songs, he's got you know, he's got I mean, even beyond that, you know, he does he did like a series with freaking um you know, what's her name? The cook lady. Um, <laughs> like, Martha Stewart. Right. Like, you know, these guys are really smart. And but you know, I'm especially impressed by this this young man because you know, he's 15, 16. People are been trying to do that forever. And this little kid who's an outsider and unknown blows this song up to that point. You know, that Oh, it just shows you that social media, if you it, it is a one in a it is a one in a million though, but it can be done. So the gatekeepers I, I mean, have kind of been thrown out the door. Right. Absolutely. So there's that. The gatekeepers have and been once, thrown out. Once it's done once, by the way, once it's done once, it's a lot harder to do it, to replicate it again because everyone else well, is going to try it. It's harder to replicate to his point, but I've I've seen other people do it. Like I, I've, on there's another guy named um, Zai. I, I don't know the how to pronounce the, it. It's the same with YouTubers like that Mr. Beast guy giving away money. You know, like it's a different hustle, but you know, YouTube's so overcrowded now. It's very difficult to to get through sure. all that. But sure. if you can yeah, figure and, it out, it can be done. Right, and you're right. Like once, so the tendency is once it's done, the algorithm gets changed, right? Because yeah. they don't want everyone doing yeah. it. You and, know. It's, and it's and it's it's so hard to know what the algorithm wants. And it's like right. It's so and so in in that way, you're you're absolutely right. Doing it the exact same way he did is probably impossible now. It, it uh, has yeah, probably. Problem. Who knows? And you're right. And also, who knows? Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But to, to know the, how those algorithms work and what, you know, like there's, the, you know, the way that certain YouTube videos are shot where they, they, they make it look like horrible filming and then they cut in and then, you know, just like little techniques like that that, that make it resonate more into the algorithm. is It's so strange. A hundred percent. I've actually written really like, I I I stopped posting on Instagram, especially during COVID, because you know what am I going to post? Like me staring at the window? Like what the fuck? <laughs> um, so I and then also you know the more that my life, um, yeah, interestingly enough, if you Google my real name, you probably won't find much about me, like mm. it, very little, because my personal life i've kept very separate um you know they they kind of grow together uh, but- I, i've been i've been friendly before you for quite a while and i i still i don't i think you've told me your real name but i can't remember it off the top of my head <laughs> so there you go <laughs> well you know it's it's weird like i i the majority of my life is as dj Neil armstrong but my personal life i've always kept really separate like i don't really post pictures of my family up or any of those type of things that technically matter a lot more uh, more and i'm talking about like you know like my cousins or going to church or doing anything like that that's not uh dj so, related so tell me what 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 originally inspired you to to uh call yourself dj neil armstrong is uh, you got uh, you, you know, know is it because we guy, didn't go to the moon or what, what, what? <laughs> now one of the guys at fat beats um the one of the owners or the owner his name is joe and i th- i believe he's still owns it even though it the 
storefront closed in New York. Um, one time he called me Neil Armstrong and it stuck. And so I kept it. <laughs> Was there a reason that he called you Neil Armstrong? Uh, I think he called me Neil Armstrong or Neil Diamond. I don't know. That's a, a lot of us back then are, they would give us dumb names, like, you know, names that we didn't really choose. Like I, I, I could be mistaken, but I remember like Rock Raider didn't choose his name either. Like it just a name someone gave us and it stuck. Um, so how anticlimactic. Yeah, very, very anti- I, I definitely didn't. I thought maybe it. you wanted to. You grew up and you wanted to be an astronaut, or you know, I, something well, like so, that. Oddly enough, yes, the, those are uh, that is true. I was actually named after Neil Armstrong, so there was a lot of reasons, kind of post it coming out, that I wanted to keep it. Also, at the time, you know, I was a kind of a kid. I was, I was in, I was in college still. I was living at my mom's house, and. I just did not want someone calling up my crib and being like, yo, where's DJ booty eater. Can I please talk to him? And my mom answered the phone and be like, yo, who the fuck is this? And hang up on my friend. So <laughs> Neil, Neil, at least they would say, can I speak to Neil? So yeah, my real name is Neil. Um, my first real name is Thomas Neil. And yeah, yeah, I, I remember just- now. Yeah, people would just call call up and you know, oh, is Neil home? And then it was just easy. But yeah, I I never chose that name. Um, most DJs from my time period didn't. It's really interesting though. A lot of DJs nowadays, like they do not have urban sounding names. They often pick a name that is uh, like you know, like their name, DJ. Dane Johnson that's their DJ name now like <laughs> like as opposed to before you wanted some kind of cool like DJ action DJ craze DJ scratch like no they want the most corporate ass sounding ass name so that they could get these corporate ass gigs so it's really funny I, I find it amusing that that's not something that people do now but yeah that's how that happened but there was something that um we were talking about before I wanted to expound on it, but I forgot now. But um I know we were talking about like how people the the other thing I think that happened with kids nowadays is they listen to music really differently. Like when we were younger, we would have to listen to a song on the radio, for example, and we record it, we put it on a cassette tape, or we have a CD, right? But you could even with a CD, you didn't have instant gratification. Like if it was track 10 and that's your favorite song, you got to press the button 10 times or hold it down or do something, right? Nowadays, kids, they they want a song, they got it. They want to hear it 100 times, they can do it 100 times immediately. They wouldn't have to rewind it back to the beginning, you know? So how they hear songs, how they care about music is entirely different. Um... I don't think they care about as much as as much about like transitions or blends or things of that nature. They care more that, you know, Shaq Diesel, DJ Shaq Diesel is the person at the party. They don't necessarily care about the skill set of the DJ. They care about, well, where is everyone else going to be? Everyone else is going to be at Paris Hilton's party. So I think Paris Hilton's pretty redundant now. I think that's about that's 10 years ago, too. 
<laughs> but she still probably has made more money. Good on her. I've met her a couple made. of times. She's a cool chick. Seems cool. And she loves sex, and I love sex, so good on her for being a mad bitch. <laughs> I, know, I have several friends that have woken up next to her, so good on them too. <laughs> Look, man, you know, as we said, life is short. You can't hate on someone for that. No, no. But, and, and, you know, but it's interesting how, you know, the, the most famous people in the family in the world now um, transitioned, you know, basically became famous indirectly because of her, and that was because of a sex tape with Ray J. And, you know, she right. kind of blew up too because of a sex tape. And, you know, the, the the modern world is is pretty kind of frivolous. It's kind of based off no talent. Uh, I go to a lot of, you know, obviously high-end parties. I work with Maxim. I do, you know, a lot of different stuff with Red Bull and Fireball and blah, blah, blah around the world. And, you know, a lot of people go to parties now and they'll they'll Instagram it and they'll take the photos to make everyone jealous that they're there and then they'll go home or they'll go to the next spot. So right. it's like it's like people are living. It's like when people are filming at the concert, you know, like yeah, maybe once to show that you're there. That's cool, but like holding your phone up the whole time, like what are you gonna you're gonna like watch that in your living room when you get home and like with the shitty speakers? Is that what is that what the modern kind of consumer wants to do? So it's almost yeah. like we're, you know, I, I'm I'm very much guilty of it. Is that we, you know, it's a society of people not living in the moment. I I hundred percent agree, and their their motivation is different, and it's unfortunate that a lot of people, their motivation is likes, their motivation is uh, followers, and um, mm. you got you were pretty lucky. You got to live in the golden era where where talent rose to the top, and you know everything was kind of fresh, and it hadn't been done yet. Yeah, I I think there's that. Um, on the flip side of it, though, like I said, if you do realize like things like Instagram and TikTok are tools. I I've learned to appreciate that side of things as well. And I, I wish I knew how to, uh, I use like, uh, I said the quiet part out loud, like manipulate <laughs> that situation. Um, but as you said, like, if you look at my, my Instagram account still, it, I think it's still representative of myself. Like I, I, post a lot of stuff with my daughter, um, running, right. You know, I was a, a avid runner before I had, um, surgery things. I I'm interested in. You will never catch me dancing on a fucking Instagram, social media post. I promise you, if, if you ever see me dancing, just, just put me in the casket already, buddy. Like just, <laughs> just get rid of me. Cause I I've lost my mind. Um, so um so you, you you've you've had some interesting interactions over the years. Um what's your whole take on um on on the Kanye situation at the moment? Obviously that's like top pressing uh, you know, news. Is that something so, you want to avoid or is that what you've you've uh, obviously met the guy a few times. Um he I seems mean, like a cool cat, but then obviously he's outspoken, he feels like he's been downtrodden in the world, he's obviously had his masculinity taken away from him a little bit by the Kardashian family. Um, which probably what happened to the father too. I don't, I honestly, so, you know, of course, uh, being with Adidas um, in particular, I support the, the, his product from before. I've always kind of heard stories about Kanye 
Um, I've heard a lot of different reasoning about why he says what he does. And um, at this point in time, I don't support anything he says. I think he's kind of really lost his mind and I think he needs help at least mm -hmm. just from the, from a mental aspect and being kind as a, a human being, he needs help. And really someone has to stop platforming him. People need to be, I think people need to stop platforming him and, and actually people have. Uh, yeah, but that, but that, that, but that you can't, free speech has got to be free. You know, you can't, oh, sure. you can't, you can't. But, I mean, that doesn't mean he can't talk. He could go, go ahead. Talk totally. But there's consequences for your, for what you talk about, but this whole council culture, it's, it's, you know, he's, yeah, he's taught, he not, has a lot of points not, of as, there's, there's, do you want to give a microphone and a megaphone to every person that is in a mental institution? Yeah, but he's, uh, but, not. It, but, it, but, That's it, not, but if, you know, but you're, if you're, Michael you're, Jackson was going on about something, but, you know, you know, uh, people, hello? people would listen. Can you listen? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and and that's uh that's the thing. Michael Jackson didn't have those Well yeah, but Michael Jackson Michael Jackson went about it a little bit differently. I think that Michael Jackson I mean ha had I, a persona well, that he invented that he didn't um you know, he, he I think that him in private as opposed to him in public were two very different people. Sure. And course. I think that he I mean, played off that whole mystery thing and I think that I think that the, the era of having people on the level of like a Jay-Z and a Beyonce and a Michael Jackson, you know, there's not many of the last of the Mohicans left where, you know, kind of Instagram's made everything too accessible now. So that whole mystery of being a celebrity isn't, doesn't hold the same weight that it did when, you know, I was a kid, you know, when I was, you know, 13, 12, 13 in like 2005, you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, sure, but I'm, I'm not maybe, sure. How... Maybe I'm wrong, but no, 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 not not at all. But like, I mean, I, I don't know if we're talking about the same thing. I've that's the thing, whether or not Michael Jackson was able to say a lot of crazy things mm. that he that never got to me. Mm. He never went on 2020 and said to Barbara Walters, "Well, I think you should be able to um, whatever." <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah crazy thing that those opportunities to him weren't around. But I think he there's a lot of validity in what Kanye is saying. I think that, I think that the, I think that he, the, the, I think that the problem is that um, the way that he goes about it, I think he's got a victim so, mentality. Sure. There's that. Well, uh, well, number one, I don't know. I haven't, I don't listen to him. Like mm. I, I don't platform him. That's what I mean. You can say whatever you want. I don't have to listen to you. So I, hundred percent. So on my end, I can't tell you what he said from my point of view because I haven't heard him. I could tell you what I've heard from various news outlets, how it's been interpreted. Yeah. And but, it, but there's number, a lot of like, um... number one. Number one, one of the biggest issues, at least in the back, black community, is that he he is spewing lies. Yeah. About George Floyd that are extremely right-wing talking points. So that's, that's number one. That, that's extremely, that's, that's just wrong. And he's about to get sued. And if uh, what happened to Alex Jones 
yeah, happened to Alex yeah. Jones, that's going to happen to him. So, of course, he's free to say whatever he wants, but there's a consequence. And this is going to be one of the consequences. So this is not a free speech issue that like I, I don't understand why people say that you could say whatever you want. Like, I'm not stop, I, I can't stop Kanye from telling his friends, no. but uh, from no. the aspect of him literally having a megaphone that can reach. A hundred billion people or how many people are on this earth that that's, uh, you know, there's a reason why not everybody can drive a tank down the street in the United States. There, like, there's reasons for that. This is not uh, just you can you can't just do anything because you want to. Yeah, so, no, no, I agree with that, but I, yeah. I I still think that the council culture, um, you know, like again, I I don't know enough about it to comment. Um, and I'm not I'm not really in a position of um of oppression to to have an opinion on the matter. But I think free speech is very very important. I think that I 100% I think free speech that this is where I don't understand why people think that this is cancel culture. This this is not that or that this is some kind of attack on what you know, what's an attack on free speech is like Julian Assange. Oh, 100%. Like that, that's an attack on, on free speech. This is not, this is freaking some fool that should not be talking. <laughs> like, yeah, no, no, that, I, I can kind of see that. I think that, you know, it's it's interesting how um, it's interesting the little things in life that can affect you, you know, whether he had his car accident or, you know, no one listened to him when he was a producer wanting to be a rapper. Like, it's an interesting cat, you know. One of my I mean, friends. So most people are, are pointing to, you know, when his mother passed away that he, he lost like a, his ability to center himself. And that's fine. You know, that all, all of that stuff is fine, but we're, we're entering a point where the things he's starting, like the, the only thing for sure, I do know that he's said, because I, I saw the clip is that he claimed that that George Floyd didn't like did not die because there was a knee on his neck. This, this is, you know, factual to the point where it's been proven in court like this. There's video footage of this for him to continue this lie, which is very much so along the same lines as Alex Jones saying that, you know, the, the shooting, the Sandy Hook shooting was fake, was fake. Like th- that's wrong. Like that's morally wrong. And that's dangerous because there's people who will just blindly follow Kanye. And that's, that's where there's a problem and where, yes, this does turn from just an innocent person saying whatever into hate speech into, uh, you know, into something that is extremely dangerous, especially for, his own community, right? So there's other stuff that I've heard him say, or I, I haven't heard him say, but has been discussed. Now, interestingly enough, there are people in my circle of friends who have just decided to continue to support him um, uh, regardless. But I do know, like, from my end, you know, I 
at this time, I, I have decided to not support his art because that's how he makes a living and continues to have this kind of uh, ability to have that power. Yeah, so and, he, I, and I think he's he's gone up. But, you know, what he talks about in about the media and stuff like that, like a lot of it has some validity to it, but, you know, the way that he goes up about it and the way that he kind of singles out certain minorities um, in his brain is probably the right thing to do. But, you know, like, I don't know, he's he's trying to be a martyr, which is it's a difficult place to go. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. So, like, there's also the people who believe that he's just doing it because he knows that this is the rea- it's going to cause a reaction. Like, uh, he's going to get clicks. He's going to get views. And I do, unfortunately, believe think that the general adage of uh, you know, no, uh, no press is bad press. I guess right. That's the one, right? Yeah, that's the one. So, he so then there's the other group of people who think he's just manipulating everybody, like he knows what he's doing and he's manipulating everybody, and you know, in that case, the people who believe him are the suckers. So there, there I've seen really interesting conversations. Now, me personally, you know, they, back in the day, I've heard a lot of crazy things. Um, I've had friends who are like five percenters there's like i don't know if you've ever come across the black israelites i uh people who just spew you know comments that will offend someone else but in all those cases their voice doesn't hold much power Mm. kanye west's voice holds a lot of power and it's bad, the situation right now. So I think, unfortunately, he does have a lot of yes people around him who just don't, you know, say anything or be like, yo, you need to chill the hell out. Like, what are you doing, dude? Because I don't know if he's necessarily uh, entirely a hateful person either. Uh, But whatever is going on in his world, what he's doing is interpreted as hate. And that, you know, just because his intentions aren't that, it doesn't mean that how people feel are, is invalid either. Um, so, yeah, for me personally, like, I, you know, people want to do what they do. But me personally, the state he's in right now, like, I'm, I'm cool. Like, I don't need to, you, you know, my life is not affected by him. So I'm cool never playing a song of his again. Which honestly is very difficult because <laughs> yeah, Kanye yes. made a lot of he made a lot of really good ass songs. Now, mm. interestingly enough, like, uh, but shouldn't music and, and shouldn't music and political opinions be separate? Well, like I said, in my case, I'm not going to tell you not to listen to him. You go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, 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 that's yeah, that's fair. <laughs> But is that like a political statement by not playing his music, even if though you, you it might no, contribute I'm not in a running, positive? I, I'm I'm not running for office. I'm not telling you not to play it. So how mm. is that political? How does this affect you? No, no, no. That's fair. No, no, no. That was just more yeah. of a question from your perspective. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, uh, I mean, not you, but how does it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, not I, I, you know, I, I I'm sorry if it sounded like I was talking about you. No, no, not at all, not at all. I, I, like you, you've you've obviously you've lived in a lot of countries. You've you've got a little bit of a diverse um, opinion. Obviously, you're you're Asian American, growing up in a in a black culture in a in in right. a very um, predominantly you know quite um, heavy city, especially in the nineties um, right. back in the right. day. Um, right. You know that that you know would have been pretty amazing to to see some of the things that you've seen uh yeah i i think so but yeah so you know in my case if someone came up to me and was like oh yeah i love kanye's song and i still love him blah, 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 i'm not gonna be like don't like cool but it's also like you know if you want me to talk to you about like, well, what Kanye song do you, Neil, do, do you like? I'll be like, no, nah, I don't really listen to Kanye right now. You know, so if you, if the person decides to be like, well, you're making a, like, I'll be like, well, what are you talking about? I'm not running for office. I, have you heard me say, don't listen to him? Absolutely not. But me personally, I think um, I don't want to play him anymore. Now, interestingly enough, you're, you are not incorrect in, I, I do think a lot of people nitpick what they decide to not play in what they, you know, uh, prime example, Michael Jackson. Mm. Uh, I think there's probably enough information out there, unless you just totally believe everyone is lying, that he acted at minimum inappropriately with a child. I don't know if uh, there was any criminal activity, but at minimum oh. inappropriate. See, I think right. that was American culture kind of like trying to um you know, that's people want everything for free. They want a handout so they see an opportunity. I don't who think knows? the dude was yeah, I mean you're you're who knows? I, again I know. I've never that's, met him. That's the that's the matter of opinion, right? I mean not even matter of, of, of like you're that is something that people would often say who just feel like it's, you know, ridiculous like that they, they just don't want to believe that. But I I don't know what you remember, but at the time, you know, David Chappelle even made a joke about it. They're like, well, would you let your kid stay over with Michael Jackson? He was like, hell no. Oh, but yeah, yeah. But that should be, but that should, but that, but that should fall on the responsibility of the adult. That's the parent, not, right, not so on Michael. So, it's, so you're so, saying, so no, I'm no, no. saying, I'm saying wait, that I wouldn't no. let, I wouldn't let, if I had a kid, I wouldn't let him stay over in a bed with any adult other than like, like my family, like it's fucking weird. Do you know what I mean? You've got so, a daughter. You're not going to no, let your no, daughter wait, 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 go. Hold on a second. So what, who is the perpetrator here? Well, I think the, ad, the I'm not, even I'm, as I'm not saying that, that it's, no, no, it's, no, 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 no. You just, you just admitted it yourself. You just just admitted it yourself that there's something about Michael Jackson enough that you wouldn't fucking know. It's a hundred percent, but that's but that's okay. the same with anyone. That's the same. But, like I think the parent, like the, that that whole thing of like, especially back then, like he was so famous that people would like if he said stick your dick in a light bulb, they'd be like, oh yeah, and they'd do it. You know, like I think that that I think it's definitely an Americanism. Oh, oh yeah, maybe it's just a fame thing, fame obsession with celebrity that like people will jump to attention when people on that level say something. So I don't know. I think yeah, I, mean, I think I a lot of the I think a lot of the roles I think a lot of this this well, society has this whole victim mentality where they want to blame everything on everyone else. And I'm not saying but, that in the but hold in the, on a second, you're blaming it on the parent. 
Like I, I don't. Well, understand. yeah, but the parent, but the parent shouldn't let the kid in that situation from the beginning. That's like that kid's um, like six years old. Why? Why are you letting a six-year-old stay at some weird man's house? Like even if it's, you know, like one of your friends. Like it's that's weird. Unless it's like and, the. Un- and I don't. I don't. You understand where I'm coming from? Oh, from that point, yes, but. What so, you just said, you said, this is a family member. This is a friend, the guy, I don't, I don't know all the story, but ultimately that, you know, if you trust someone to act like an adult, as, totally. as, but as why would you leave, why would adult, you leave your kid with some, someone I don't else? Know. Will, Will, what if I, what if I, uh, well, I, I need my I need you to watch my kid for a little. To- totally, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> sleep in the same bed as the child. All right. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not, quite I'm quite positive but, that but yeah. part of the story that they did not yeah. Mike Jackson did not walk up to them and be like, just FYI, your yeah. kid's gonna sleep in the bed with me. Yeah, yeah. I'm quite yeah. positive that didn't happen. Yeah. I I understand. Yeah, yeah. Like this. <laughs> I'm I don't quite know. I, I have a lot of I have little nephews and stuff, and I like I'll, I'll watch TV when with them in bed and stuff. I'm like, but I'm I'm not fucking weird. I guess yeah yeah. So yeah, he's oh, a weirdo. All right. So yeah, he's so definitely then, all right. So then we go back yeah. to that. Now now you you really like okay yeah he's weird. So he is yeah, yeah but it's mean, all perception. I don't know him personally, so I, but, like and I don't, of course we're you know we're all I mean? talking we're all talking in speculation, right? Because neither yeah. of us know him. Yeah. So neither, I, but I I don't know if it's fair to you to put that entirely on them. No, it's not entirely on the parent, but a lot of it, a lot of the response, the, the duty of care of that child is on the, the, the caregiver of that child. You know what I mean? Like that's the person that's responsible for that child until they're of an age where that child can make a decision. And that's, that's assuming that, that's what happened. I don't know. So a lot of the unfortunate thing is the only person that knows the truth are the people involved. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what happened. And you're right. It's unfortunate because there is a chance that it just sucks in uh, today's society. Like not as much back then, but now like someone like, you know, Andrew Tate or Kanye or whoever else it is. And I'm not saying that I agree or disagree with any of them is that that people take little tidbits of their, of the information that they are expressing and then they manipulate it and then they create it into content and then it gets fed out into the world with an an agenda behind, behind it, if that makes sense. So, you know, like in this, in the same vein, you don't think these people put this out there. Of course, of course, of course, but, but you can't, you can't, you can't read Aristotle, you know, like you can't read like, you know, the Iliad or whatever example in history and then take like a tiny little, you know, snippet of it and say that that's what that person represented. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that's so kind what of. If they say, what if they say that this is what they represent? Totally, but that's a, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, but it's, I don't know. Like if the, these examples you're giving are these extreme examples that they've made clear, like this is what they represent. Now, Kanye, Kanye, of course, is. I, I do believe he has some uh, mental issues. Like, like I think that's factually right. He's bipolar. So, but I, I don't know him personally, so I can't really comment on that. I'm not a psychologist uh-huh. or psychiatrist. Right. No, no, I, I think it's a, a. I don't know if it's a matter of public record because it's someone's medical he, records, right? Probably, I, he probably is. He's probably bipolar. 
or something yeah. like that. And he I'm feels sure he feels like he's been picked on that. and he's in a corner and he's like, you know what, fuck that, I'm gonna stand up from and and I, I'm I'm curious to see where it'll lead him. I think it I think it's I think he's going down the primrose path into a lot of thorns. I think he's he's bit off a little bit more than he can chew, but we'll see what happens. It's yeah, interesting. I, um, I I don't know what's gonna happen because as much as people have a when it comes to someone like Kanye because he is, you know, he's not. It, Even Talib Kweli made a post about him today and basically calling him a, a crazy, crazy person. Wow. You and know, that's, that's pretty not gnarly. Because they're friends, you know. They're, no, no, they're, I understand that, that but he's like friends. a, but, you know, obviously he's a, he's a person of stature in the black community. He stands up for what he believes in, you know, like whether Kanye has any validity in, what he's saying or not and i don't have an opinion about that um because it doesn't really affect me personally but you know like burning all those bridges is it's not like not the best way to go about it is it do you know what i mean if you've got a message that's you you want out to the world you you know you, you if you burn your support structure around you you're kind of going to collapse aren't you you know what i mean uh, i don't i mean i don't know uh, but that's the consequence of yeah yeah 100 percent yeah no, no. <laughs> like and that and, and, and that is that like you said it i guess that's the that's the point that we will we, we'll come to is that um you know free, there is free free speech must exist but a free speech has consequences sure so I, yeah that's that's the consequence so um what you call it what there was something i was going to say about uh no like I, I, oddly enough, Talib Kweli has had a lot of his own issues. So he's Talib has been he's not on Twitter because he got banned. Oh, did he? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of extra stuff. There there is a community that, uh, I don't know, doesn't really like him. But I do know that historically, uh, unless something has changed recently, that Talib has been friends with Kanye for a long time. So for Talib to finally come out and speak against Kanye is kind of a big, I think that's kind of a big deal because he hasn't before. Oh, yeah. This is what I was going to say. People, when it comes to Kanye, people have a very short-term memory. This, this, mm. is, not, this is not something new. He's been doing this forever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, the, the, I think that he's just shaking it up to a new level now. And I think oh that yeah, hundred oh, percent. I think it's been elevated. But like, yo, the, the 2016 was that. Uh, I'm sorry. When uh, 2018 has been? Uh, no, no, wait. Hold, what am I saying? When was the election? 2016, right? Mm. So it's been 16. Yeah, yeah. But that. But his political ideology. His political ideology, and if he if he's pro Trump, you know, like that's. That's his God-given right to do that. There shouldn't be consequences. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that was six years ago. He's been doing this for six years. Yeah. He's been saying stuff that has been questionable uh, or people have been offended by for six years. So this is a cycle. He does something. He gets somehow forgiven. But, but if, but if he says something, if he says something offensive, like, do you think that people should have the right to sue him for saying that? Like that's a bit extreme. This, part, this is that's not what they're suing him for. They're suing him for libel. Like he literally lied. This is precedent. There's precedent. He has lied about 
a situation. This is libel. This is not because he offended someone and said your yeah. your clothes are ugly. Like how how can you reduce it to that? He said that George Floyd did not die from uh, he he did not die because he was murdered. He died mm. from fentanyl. This is a lie. Oh, that's, that's all, again like I, I'm I, I don't know the full story and uh, I don't yeah, really have an opinion about it. I think it's horrible. Well, I, I think well, there's police. Like, I think police should. are fucked in every country, and I think police brutality is really, really, really horrible. And I think that I think that these these people, um, you know, like the de- the whole defund the police thing, like the police need to be more better educated so they can and actually maybe like a stricter criteria to become a police officer. You know, not just take away their power because then there's going to be anarchy. Yeah, but that's not the that's not. You, so you're being entirely misinformed at what that meaning is, the meaning of defund the police. I, I don't know what your police funding is like in Australia, but uh, let me, what is, how much is money you the police get in the United States? Mm. Police are massively funded massively like we're talking about there they make they the police now how how it trickles down to actual the individuals i don't know but the the amount of money that is spent on policing is massive and they are absolutely under educated here i i you know don't i'm whatever i'm saying you have to put the whole thing like they're their training here in the United States is extremely short. It's not years, it's months of training. That's all they get. And half the people that do it, they're they're not they they're just doing it because they, they need a job. Yeah. Their their effort in life is not because they're trying to uphold the law. Their their effort in life is that they're trying to make the world better. They're trying to feed their kids just like everyone mm. else. Yeah, totally. And you know, there's a. So, it's pretty sad though. Like it's that that poor guy died for no reason. Like he didn't do anything. He didn't spit in the cop's but, face. He didn't. He didn't shoot a cop. Like you know, and no one should get treated like that. That's like brutality. That's like some some mid, medieval, you know, oppression. Yes. It's fucked and up. That, it doesn't matter what and, la- what race you are, or what creed or color, or black, trans, well, whatever. Yeah, like common rights is- should be common rights. Right. And the unfortunate thing in the United States, especially, is that it doesn't tend to work that way. It like doesn't we, happen in Japan, does it? No. Um, I don't know about how foreigners are treated. I've never had issues, but Man, just in general, there's a lot of systematic things in Japan that deter that type of behavior. Like there's not a lot like there. I, I personally think it's the, the socioeconomic divide isn't nearly as extreme in some way exactly. like Japan or Australia. Um, no, it, exactly. the so it, And that's a big chunk of it. And they don't. Um, so that's probably you know, the majority of the problem. It is it is oh, racially based, but it's a majority I of mean, it, from my the, opinion, is, is socially. A lot of. Well, there's a lot of extra stuff in the United States that if you are like, like, here's an example, like if you, uh, and this is proven, this is, I'm not speaking out of my ass. Like if you're, if you try to sell your house and it's known that you are a black person who owns the house, your house will be devalued 
massively. I, I can't, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's like, you know, if, if that's took down a family's picture. Oh yeah. Yeah. You cut out again. Hopefully you come back. Just from yeah, that. Yeah. You're back. This, this is of, of, you know, this has been proven that this is not isolated incidents. These are, this is the, the, the trend. So how does that affect a black person? Well, they get less money. Uh, mm. Their taxes are different. Um, often their taxes are what pays for your education. Like yeah. The type of education you have in that. Sad, isn't it? It's really fucked yeah, it's, up. It's and it just stuff. causes these divides and then, you know, right. fuck you, fuck you. And then it's right. shit. And then they, so, like, and then they try example, to, and then now they're trying to get rid of all these, you know, they're trying to get rid of bail and, you know, like, and now people, now there's a lot of anarchy in the street in America. No, yeah. well, see, that's, that's another misinformed, like people are blaming the current state. Like that's not what bail reform did. Now I can't speak to some other things, but bail reform mm. is just that, like, it's basically, if you get caught doing a crime, mm. if you have the money, to pay for bail, you can get out. If you don't have the money, you can't get out. So that tends to affect a certain group of people who already get targeted by police a lot more often. Yeah. In Australia, there's a huge problem with, um, in Australia, there's a huge problem with like Aboriginals dying in custody. It's like astronomical. Um, Right. Right. Like, you know, it's really fucking crazy actually. Very right. sad. It's like uh, it, it's, you... it's um two million times two million times two billion times sad, and it it sucks because when shit hits the fan, uh, I think historically, especially in in a a, a highly capitalist society, like uh, the poor get punished. Like you, you get punished for being poor, and uh, you know it, it's just across the board from social from economics to socially. Like you're poor, you're 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 bad you're automatically labeled as bad somehow um it's it just it it sucks um and it causes like large systematic problems now for example in japan i do know that their living wage is more on par with the ability to survive the living wage in the united states right now is seven dollars and 15 cents federally that's Mm. the minimum wage that that's all you are given. You you can't afford to even work forty hours a week and in any major city be able to afford a place to live. So there's just all these crazy things that are happening back home. But you know, like you mentioned bail reform, that's often something that people point to that is that's not what's causing the issue and uh, i can send you some articles about it and it, it sucks because in general even just common sense wise that's what people think that people are just being let out uh you know they're committing crimes and they're being let out um i don't know if that's quite right and like you know people have done studies like no that's not who the what the bail reform was doing it's to stop like what happened to that gentleman who ended up being stuck in the system and stayed in jail for two years for stealing a backpack that he didn't, didn't actually steal. 
because he couldn't afford bail. Like yeah, that's, no, that's I've, I've, I've heard of stories like that. I had a friend that got done. He was a white Aussie guy, and I'm not, not that there's much difference, but um, or any difference. But he got caught jaywalking on the way to check the surf in like Huntington, and they locked him up. Some you know asshole cop was probably having a bad day. I wanted to make an example of him, and he ended up getting locked up in. Uh, in in the county jail for uh, like two or two months because he got lost in the system. Yeah, that, that's not that's wrong. And well, it's so- totally wrong. But you know, like <laughs> imagine being and he only had his board shorts. He does like he had no shirt and board shorts on. You know what I mean? Like six weeks he was in jail for for basically crossing the road. So, so how how did he? Uh, I mean, oh, I think the embassy and some you know obviously it was it was it was a story that was told to me when I was. A little bit drunk, but I, you know, like uh, that's not that's not a, a primary example or, or in any comparison to how, you know, people of minority or or even you know it's a, how cops treat people in general, right? There was a, there's been a huge oppression in Australia over the last two years because of COVID, you know, like lockdown laws and cops beating up people and like all Australia was turned into a like basically like a Nazi concentration camp for the last two years, you know, there was domestic borders. So, you know, that it it's it's I think that the 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 authorities abuse their power and I think that it's really really sad because a lot of people probably go into law enforcement with the the intention of, you know, trying to better the world. Yeah, I don't I don't know. That's not my I I I know well, I don't I hate cops. I don't <laughs> like I don't I don't like cops. I don't but I don't hate them either. And I've been, I've only been harassed a little bit. I've never been like fully harassed or like, you know, like a lot of, a lot of other, you know, obviously victims of of stuff like that. And I think American cops in general are are probably a lot worse. Um, But like they are a necessary evil, you know, if there, if there was no police, there'd be anarchy in the streets. It's just, that's the way it is. I you mean, know. I'm sure. I'm sure aspects of it, uh, a need for um, some kind of security force, was necessary. But the police, at least in the United States, grew out of uh, a particular situation. Um, you know, often surrounding situations with slavery. Um, if you end up looking at what the police currently get to do it it often unfortunately uh you know well there's no ramifications for them oh currently they, yes you know the the police union is a really strong union and they there's not a lot of consequence for uh no they get away with all sorts of shit look at what happened with you know it happened with Rodney King and it's probably happened in in a million situations that didn't get filmed you know in all sorts sure. of places all through the world. But, you know, like yeah. the, the police, in my opinion, should be held to a higher standard than the average person because uh, they've I, been given yeah. a power by the by the society. Sure. And, and that whole ideology of serve and protect, you know, like I don't know what the solution is, probably more better education and, and, a, and, a, and a, a stricter criteria for to be met for someone to be able to actually join the police force and actually have the honor of having that power because right. you, but, you hold you know, people in, 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 you hold people's lives in your hands, you know? 
Unfortunately, though, you know, the, the thing is, if you are given that, you know, I this is why countries have to use a draft to, to get people to go, because your average person doesn't want to go do those things. You know, it, it's rare. It's rare to find those type of people. And I, I don't necessarily. My, my cousin's a cop. And I love him to death. But I do know for a fact, like. That's not his day. His daily operation is to be able to make a living to take care of his family, ultimately. Like, that's all he cares about. And, um, you know, surviving every day. And and that's it. His job is not there to be a super. He's not trying to be out there out there being Superman. Totally. But when you when you deal with the when you deal with a a lot of criminals and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, um, you know, people that are going to spit in your face and do all sorts of stuff to you as a cop, um, you know, those things rub off on you after a long time. So it's hard for them. It's hard, it's hard on both sides. And I, I think cops, are, they definitely abuse their power though. It's, and it's, and it, especially in America and it's really, really fucking sad because yeah. that, yeah. The, that poor guy, that poor guy doesn't deserve to die. That's fucked up, man. He didn't do anything. No one deserves to die. They shouldn't have that. That they don't have that right. Right. So I don't know, like, if they have this this story on Netflix in uh, Oz because every country is a little different. But look up the Khalif Browder story. That's that's the story about the person who uh, spent his like two years in jail, I believe, if not longer. not because he was convicted, but because he, you know, got lost in the system. Yeah, he just got lost in the system. And my understanding is because he couldn't afford bail. He couldn't afford to get out. So that that's the issue, right? Ultimately, that's the issue. If you have the money, you can get out. If you don't have the money, you can't get out. It doesn't but matter. Isn't, but isn't that the? But from my outside perspective, that's pretty much the whole American culture. If you don't have money, you're fucked. Whereas in um, Australia, we have we have a and you know, like while uh, you know, like you know, we have we have a, a little bit of a socialist socialist so a little bit of socialism in Australia where you know there's there's backup plans. If you fall off the wagon, you can get welfare, you can get a helping hand up that will help right. you, you know, and you can get enough money from the government. That'll help you to be able to pay your rent, and then if you can, if you find a house, then the majority of people don't want to be unemployed. You know, they don't want to live on welfare. They just, but if they fall off the, and especially over the COVID period, you know, a lot of people fell off, and then now, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot more chaos in America than there was two years ago, three years ago, and that obviously that's you know to do with you know sleepy Joe Biden and the the. Dem, the Dems being, you know, not very good, not very good ruling, um, you know, people in office, and you know all the Trump bullshit, and you know all the all the, you know, the just the uh, just the the the, the, the 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 divide in the country, you know, and if you fall off the wagon in America and you don't have money. You're pretty much fucked. It's pretty hard to come yeah. back from that, you know. Two million, two million percent fucked. <laughs> like, yeah. that, and that's um, those are the type of uh, 
and the medical system, as you said before, like it's fucking insane. My my dad had a car accident in America about okay. twenty years ago, and he was on life support for like a week. Um, he had a six hundred grand bill. Do, do, do you see how ridiculous six hundred thousand dollars? My parents got money. My parents got money. My parents worked their motherfucking ass off to make money. So do I. And they made a lot of money from whatever they did. But 600 grand for like two weeks in hospital, that's fucking insanity. And when my mum flew to America, um, they took her in a room before they let let her see him and basically made her sign these documents that said that she could pay. And the only reason he's probably alive is because he had a platinum MasterCard in his back pocket, Amex in his back pocket, in, the, in his wallet when they found him. And they took him to the like really good hospital, you know, like whether it's here in Australia, like I blew my knee out as a pro athlete, you know, then, and then I, I paid 20 grand to get the best surgeon to do it. Then fast forward three years later, I don't have any sponsors anymore. I'm not pro anymore. I just blew my knee out skiing just for fun. And then I went and on the public health system um, and, you know, within two months, I got surgery from a doctor that was pretty much almost as good as the doctor I paid 25 grand for. Um, so, so you, you've experienced <laughs> the, the American medical system directly. Like it, oh, fuck yeah. It almost sent my parents bankrupt. Like they, well, they, they, you know, even if you've got a lot of money, like that's, that's fucking, a lot that's of money. A, so that's copious of amounts of money. money. It's copious amount of money. So, you know, imagine if you're a, a person who only makes minimum wage because that's what our government says is uh, enough for you to live. And you don't even make 600,000. You you won't even make that in your whole life. No, it's insanity. And it's sad. And it, it, it really, it, but, and the problem is that everyone's so greedy, you know, like it's, it seems like America celebrates getting up off the back of other people. And, you know, like profiteering off the demise of other people. Um, I think that, that that's kind of like the ramifications of the hustle mentality, like get get yours at all cost. Um, uh, is, I, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's the hustle mentality. That's capitalism. That's to- Totally, but there's fair capitalism. Capitalism. There's fair <laughs> capitalism and then America seems to be capitalism with the volume turned up. And, again, that's my opinion. But you know, uh, I've lived no, in. I mean, you're not you're not incorrect. I think because um, because uh, Japan's uh, a capitalistic uh, society, and so is Australia. But you know, Canada as well. I think that yeah, it's a little bit different in America because you know it's such a melting pot, and they have 300 million people. Um, uh, I mean, no, that, that's not the. I, I've heard people use the melting pot argument before, but I, I. I think that causes other social issues, but ultimately in the United States, it's come to a point where we're kind of an oligarchy. So we don't have. Yeah. It's socioeconomics. It's not the population. It's socioeconomics and, and greed and, you know, 1% having everything and the rest just kind of fighting for the crumbs. Well, the, the 1% are, are the ones who are in power. Uh, 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 to an extreme point where, you know, if certain things uh, happen when that the the Panama Papers came out and I guess it was Belgium or I forgot which country, but they, it was they were implicated in it. There was an immediate reaction. Uh, the prime minister or whatever 
they they retire um you know resigned and over here there's no consequence and in fact as you said half the time people over here cheer that behavior on not realizing that they're the ones who are suffering um and there are just do you guys have like a, a credit system out there to buy houses do you have that yeah we oh yeah we have a credit system Right, but does that credit system define whether or not you can get a loan to buy a house? Oh, for sure, definitely. It's it still does. How how does that work over there? Um, I couldn't. I couldn't. I could give you a very uneducated answer on that, but I'm not going to because I don't know enough <laughs> about it. So oh, I, I, I will comment. I will comment on things that I know enough about that I can form an opinion, well, but. I I do know, like when I asked you, my wife, about that, I'm like, hey, do you guys have that? Do you have a, you know, a credit, a uh, credit score, right? Do you have a credit score? And she was like, no, not in Japan. We don't do that. But Japan's so, Japan's the exception to the rule. Japan's the the way that the the um the way that the society works there. It's a lot more collective than it is individualistic. So, and again, that's from an outside Gaijin perspective, um, you know, like it's, I think comparing Japan and America is like apples and oranges. You'd have to compare a country like, like uh, Australia or Canada to I be mean, able to so get like a Denmark, more, Denmark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But de- Denmark is, Denmark is extreme, ex- extreme left-wing um socialism uh everything's provided by the government right that, and they like kind of live in they kind of live in a little bit of the land of make like the land the land of la la land like the government will fix everything for them so one of my business partners is from minnesota he's a famous ski filmer filmmaker mm. his wife is from denmark mm. and we've had numerous conversations about things like this about her she's on she's been living in america for like three or four years um okay so i think that they're two very extreme examples i think it you have to kind of be a little bit more moderate in like in the middle somewhere like obviously like australia and somewhere like maybe canada because that's more of a realistic system comparatively to how denmark sweden and norway is run because oh, no, of course, sure, and of course, you maybe Denmark's situation doesn't work to scale, right? Denmark's. A lot I, I don't. I don't know. I'm not an economist, but it's just I'm more so talking about uh, like the sense of how the world works and stuff like that. And again, that's just my opinion. So, oh, I you got cut off for a bit, but yeah, sure. I I don't know anything either. I'm not a. I'm, I'm neither an expert of of history or anything. So, of course, take both of our uh, opinions ultimately with a grain of salt, right? But um, ultimately, I think um, – oh, can you still hear me, dude? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. I'm here. Can you hear me? Hold on. Oh. It's massive. That that can, I know for sure. Uh, can you, we can can you hear me now? More... Yeah, yep, yeah, I can hear you, dude. I, I was just saying, like a large chunk of our budget goes to the military, and um, like Matt, it's it's uh, we spend more on military than 
Well, the, in- the industrial military complex runs America. You know, Eisenhower talked about that. JFK talked about it before he got popped. You know, all, all, JFK talked about it. Eisenhower, right. I don't know if you know the speech, right. 1953. He talked about just about as, just before he was about to exit office. I think it was 53. Right. Um, right, right. About the industrial military complex and the, the powers that be that would come from it. And it was the, the biggest threat to a, the American uh, way of life. Right. Which he was and right about. I, I, I do believe very and much. And it's the same with this whole Russia Ukraine thing. Like there's a, there's a lot of, you know, anyways, that's not a subject that I'm going to go down. It's not a path I'm going to go down, but there's a lot <laughs> I mean, of shit. There's a lot of shady shit going on and there's always two sides to every story. It's not just the American side. There's a reason that Russia is doing what they're doing from their perspective, whether it's right or wrong. Um, you know, right. and, that's and out I, for actually, debate. I, yeah. I, I've seen, uh, you know, um, uh, at, at least from their perspective. And I don't know, I, I, same here, man. I, I I have so much other stuff to worry about. I haven't really. It's just interesting, you know, because because obviously um, the world of entertainment and stuff, it's so self-fulfilling. Um, it's interesting to, to con- conceptualize how, how the rest of the world live, you know. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, sorry. You were saying something? Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I said it's interesting, you know, being in the entertainment industry. You know, it's not it's not really the real world. You know what I mean? Like it's not like how the the common man lives. So it's interesting to kind of understand and you know theorize about that kind of stuff because it's all about the mighty dollar, unfortunately. Sure, I I do believe that uh, at least in the United States, that is the ultimate uh, motivator across the board. And it definitely does suck when um, it's more important for like a, a insulin company to make money than make sure that someone stays alive. You know, that's yeah. There's there's a lot of social social injustice in America. It's pretty it's pretty crazy. Um, Australia, there it's it's there is there is little tidbits here. Um, yeah. More so the oppression, um, you know, of Aboriginals in custody. That's a pretty big deal. That they don't mm. talk about a lot, um, you know. Legalizing drugs would help a lot, I think, to change getting rid of the crime. But you know, people are very progressive. Um, but on a lighter note, where do you see yourself going in the next five years? <laughs> like you know, final question. Final question. All right, we've been talking for a minute now. Honestly, man, I um, I have been really enjoying my time as a dad, but. You know, my my daughter is pretty young right now. Um, she hasn't even reached teenage years yet. So undoubtedly, there's going to be a point where she doesn't even want to hang out with me. You know, I'm going to be her uncool pop. And my heart would still be within the realm of wanting to be a DJ somehow or involved in music and I'd love to be doing something still in that realm, but I really don't know, man. I fortunately I'm one of those people who uh, 
I had a normal job before I DJed, right? It was, I, DJing wasn't like my dream job and I had no fallback. Uh, I had a job and DJing was my fallback actually. <laughs> so if I could do something like, you know, open up a DJ school or do something to kind of impart knowledge to others, I would love to. Um, but really, who knows? Cut out. Um, as I do get older, though, I do feel my energy being different. When I go out to a club anymore now, I don't really want to stay out until four in the morning. Like even before COVID, I I was like, yo, it's, it's almost two. I want to go to bed. I, I don't want to be out until like six in the morning anymore. Still there? You cut out. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you back. Yo, 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 yo. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can hear you. Did you hear anything I just said? Or No, no, I missed that whole thing. Damn, okay. So do me a favor. Every time I pause, say yeah or something. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. So... Yeah, no worries. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. I know you're there. All Sorry right, that... so... I'll... Oh, good, dude. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yep. All right. So all I was saying was just that, you know, right now I'm enjoying being a pop and taking care of my daughter, who is just five. She's she's going to be five. Yeah. She's going to be too cool to hang out with her, her old man. Yeah, um, yeah, as they do. As they do. He cut out again. Oh, kind of want to be around music. Yeah, I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I'll ever entirely leave. Like, uh, you know, be that. Who knows? Maybe I'll start a DJ school out here in Japan, or uh, who? Maybe what we talked about, how like you know, there's there may be a resurgence of two thousands type DJs. Who knows, right? Hopefully. Hopefully. I wouldn't mind doing that again. But right now, I do feel my energy is kind of in a different place. Um, hip-hop in particular, which, you know, I, I I am a hip-hop DJ for sure, through and through. But what kids call hip-hop today is really far removed from what I called hip-hop during my day. And hip-hop music pop culture is is a young man sport you know that this not really it's just not like that as big as the rolling stones are it they have like a very specific audience right it's majority of them are going to be older people it's not going to be a bunch of like teenagers deciding they like the rolling stones right now except for a a very few of them right yeah definitely So, yeah, man, I would like to believe that I'm still going to be involved in music, but who knows? And fortunately, I'm one of the people out there who can pivot pretty easily. And internally, I don't mind if I have to. 
there was a point maybe five years ago, if you told me I wouldn't be DJ Neil Armstrong anymore, I would have been pretty upset. But these days, I guess with, you know, having my daughter, it's a lot easier for me to understand that uh, the DJ thing is just one small aspect of of my life. Kind of like how, you know, when we were talking about all that crazier stuff, uh, it's like just taking one small piece of someone's life and saying that's defining them all, right? 100%. So, yeah, for me, the DJing thing was a huge thing and is still a huge thing, and I'll always love it. Any more intentions in the in the street street culture space at all? Like any collaborations coming up or uh, you know, I mean, start a clothing brand or anything like that? Oh, probably not, man. That that has never really been in my in my mind. But um, you know, street culture from even what probably like the first time we hung out, would you say it was that the at the acclaim thing? Yeah, at the at the carbon. Right, at carbon. Are they still doing that or did they stop? No, no, it? that that stopped years ago. Right. Okay, so I actually I still see Yeah. I I I actually see Andrew quite a bit. Uh, the the guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrew Montel, right? He almost every time he comes to New York and I'm there, he reaches out to me, and um, it's just interesting to see in general what we refer to as street world culture today is really far removed from even that time, and even by the time Carbon happened it was already not what it was before. Um, I don't know, man. I, I don't really have an interest in that. And uh, oddly enough, dude, I really never did in the first place. My manager, Sky, is the reason why I had a lot of those opportunities with Hype Beast and all that. So I wasn't born a sneakerhead. I became one later on. Um Oddly enough, I was always around all that stuff um, because just being in New York. But, you know, back then we didn't. We just, I, never, I never gave a fuck about sneakers until I dated the uh, the state manager for Reebok. So, same <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, I feel you there, dude. But, yeah, man, I, I, what we, what is considered street culture now is really like, uh, flex culture, right? Like, do you have like the, 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 the most expensive sneaker that no one can get because all the resellers bought it. Mm. And, and, you know, I have sneakers that no one has, but well, do you have the latest Yeezys? Do you have the latest, whatever? Do you have the latest, um, you know, off white? Do you have the latest Travis Scott? You know, I don't because I don't care about that shit. But that's what these kids do. And the kid, the youth are the ones who kind of really dictate the market. I think that's. um, That's that's the way it's always has been. And that's the way it always will be. Always will be. Yes, for sure. And everyone else has graduated to like, you know, wearing Gucci or expensive ass shit, which I was never like in the first place. So. Um, yeah, that shit's lame. I'm not into that. <laughs> I, you know, I I don't know. It's it was weird. It was already weird by the time carbon happened. Uh, 
actually a lot of my friends who were part of the culture, I wouldn't use the term they were the ones to blame, but they were the ones who moved on. Like my, as long as I've known my manager, Scott, he never, in front of me, I've never seen him uh, wear sneakers. He was already moving on, like to to come to Carsons and, you know, all that, like the more upscale luxury brands, like that was more important to him. And all those guys did that. Anyone who owned a streetwear company were already, they were not wearing the product. They were already kind of moving on to, like on their feet, they would wear Stan Smith's and that's it. And, you know, they would wear... Five hundred dollar t shirts that type of thing, and that was uh even back in two thousand you know i i would I would notice that type of behavior um so yeah, streetwear wise probably not, and I'm so detached and uh with i'll, I'll rock l r g for life <laughs> i mean dude i because i my weight would fluctuate a lot, I actually have so many clothes from let's say starting 2005 to now i still have like where do you have it all do you have it in storage in new york or what i i fortunately i bought a house like here's an i bought a house instead of buying an escalade so i bought a house when i was like uh 25 and do you and rent that? Do you rent that crib out, or do you just keep it as? I actually you don't know? because I had a really bad experience. I my mother, I moved my mother in there, um, but I had the, the. You'll always hear about slumlords in in, in New York, for example, right? Um, that's a common trope, and its tendency is it's true. Uh, they mistreat their their. Uh, you know, renters and they'll raise the rent on them and blah, blah, blah. So the rent laws in New York are very pro renter. And unfortunately, if a person really wants to abuse the system, a person can squat in a house for years for a long time. <laughs> it's really? it's kind of messed up. Yes, it, it's bad. And it, it's unfortunate because uh you know they're written to protect people but i guess unfortunately every law if they someone you know figures out how to abuse it they could and for me yeah i i almost had a squatter in my house so after that experience i was my mother who is there to kind of manage the property she was like i don't want to rent it anymore um i do still have it as as I said, my mother lives there, and I still have a lot of stuff in storage. Um, and I'm just waiting for me to get skinny again, dude, so I can rock all my <laughs> all my old ass clothes again. So that's been on my on my to do list. Well, if you ever need money, you can just have a big fire sale and fucking make a couple of hundred grand. Uh, you know, there it's never going to be that much. I, I don't have like old vintage Gucci, but like I sold a bunch of let's see, like tour t-shirts that i actually never wore like um i had like the, a roots tour t-shirt big pun like all the t-shirts i used to get from from the labels stickers i sold a bunch of stickers maybe i made like 300 dollars off of stickers you know that i got all for free and i was yeah. just trying to get rid of them 
um, some cool stuff like that. There's a lot of nostalgia around that. And then, of course, I have all my records still, which one day for sure, unfortunately, I'm going to have to sell some because I do not have unlimited space and they're they're just taking up a lot of space. So that's one of the things I'm going to regret one day. <laughs> but we'll see, man. You know, fortunately, I am in a situation where I do have options. I am not in a situation where I'm about to be homeless and I have to worry about that shit. I can kind of figure out what I want to do. Um, currently, I still want to be involved in music, um, but I'm trying to figure out a way to not have to travel as much to make my bag. You know, I don't know if this part got cut off from the previous time, but I just want to kind of be around for my daughter while uh, we're in this, you know, youth time period before, you know, she just wants to hang out with her friends all the time. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time, Neil. It was um, awesome to, uh, well, it was it's... awesome to chat. We'll for sure. Catch well, up soon. Good. For sure. And, um... But yeah, be, um, be, I guess, you know, I, I'm fine with almost everything we talked about, just as long as it's kept in context. If we want to be safe, because I, I actually don't want to deal with people fighting with us or me or mm. you or whatever. I'll, I'll so send you the podcast edited before I before I put it up. That's fine. Word. No uh, I mean, I, I trust most of it, just the stuff like maybe we shouldn't talk about Michael Jackson. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, I, I don't feel like getting Michael Jackson super stands breathing down my fucking neck, you know, like I just, yeah, I'd no, rather... no problem. No, no, I'll go through it and I'll send it to you before I put it up. Easy, man. No worries. Word up, man. Thank you so much, dude. How, how about you besides like, um, I'm good, man. Just cruising. I'm just cannabis stuff. Really? Launching Yo, a how... cannabis brand in America in like two weeks. Just do you know, cruising. do you know a, a woman named, Oh my God, I'm the freaking worst dude. She's like a, fr... There's there's this one woman in particular who has been a very like from the get go she's been a, a huge advocate for the smaller type uh, growers is that the word I should use Yeah cultivators what in in where in America in San Francisco in particular Nina Nina Park is her name I've Have heard of her before I don't know her though She's a friend of mine I don't know if you've ever wanted. Oh, I'd, I'd love to do a podcast with uh, anyone you got, any friends. I'd love to, and then we should collaborate on something soon. I'd love to do on, something dude. cool with you. Do something with Adidas or something like that. I got some yeah, cool so, connections. Dude, I don't know. I don't know if you know much about what's happened at Adidas, which you probably heard a bunch from Kanye, right? Um, oh, I, I, obviously, I don't know Kanye, so I just know a little bit. I mean, one of my friends down here that I was living next to. He's friends with Kanye and he used to run, used to be the casting director and also run, he was the head of the Victoria's Secret fashion shows for like 15 years. Do you know Kanan Raja? Have you ever met him before? Mm. Aussie guy. Looks like Not in Oz. I don't know him in Oz. No, no, he's from, he lived in New York for 15 years. Kanan? Kanan. 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 Like K-A-N-N-O-N. Raja. Man, the last name sounds really familiar, but I don't, I don't remember. Um, 
Yeah, I don't, he worked for Adidas in New York. No, no, no. He worked for Victoria's Secret and like oh, and yeah. like like no. Nah, but he worked with Kanye when he when Kanye did perform for no. Nah, he he didn't work for Adidas. He worked for 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 Thingo. No, no, nothing to do with Adidas. All right. Um, I do not believe I've met him. I don't believe so. Yeah. Um, but regardless, with uh, Kanye is one of the things he's been ranting about is his relationship with Adidas, and he's put all his venom toward a guy named uh, Daniel Cherry. Mm. Uh, I don't remember what role Daniel Cherry's in, but basically everyone I know that this is the one thing that Kanye says is that everyone left, and he says they left because of Daniel Cherry. I don't know if that's true. I do know that almost everyone I know at Adidas, from the top level dude to like just a designer person, they all left Adidas almost all abruptly within the span of like three months. And that's what happens. That's what happens when they bring new management in. It happens a lot, I think, in those corporate culture kind of companies, you know, like they. Sure. Is that an had good intentions with him, you know, I think at the beginning. Uh, sure. I, I, yeah. Regardless of the, uh, the Kanye thing, this all happened. Like, so my friends didn't work with Kanye. Um, yeah. They just all left and I never actually got to talk to them. Why? But I assume just as you said, like someone must have taken over that, really everyone is just like i don't want to work here anymore that must be pretty that must be pretty um it'd have to be something pretty extreme because like you know that's a pretty other than nike you know like that's the dream job do you know what i mean like that's you don't really leave that job do you know what i mean like unless you get a better job it's not really a job you leave especially in that that sneaker actually i i do know Every time you're you're right in that, like every time there was like some kind of a uh, corporate reorganization, I do know people who have left on their own accord. Um, but this particular group of people, like some of them were really high up mm. and I, I wouldn't have expected them to just leave. Uh, unless, and- unless you're going to go move on to like another company or another opportunity, like, right. That's a hard so- job. To, it's a hard job to beat. You know what I mean? Yeah, one of them is a guy named Flo, and he mm. left and went to Hugo Boss. Another one was a designer friend of mine. And then all these ancillary people who have been with Adidas for a long time, they all posted up Instagrams that, like, they were leaving within a span of, it's like, It's crazy, yeah, though. The, 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 um, that whole world doesn't seem as popular as it used to be. Like, hype-based is a website, but I guess people don't go on websites anymore, you know? No, they don't. I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I don't think they do. I, and Kevin, so I think the current iteration of Hypebeast is a little different too. I know Kevin Ma has tried to really create a face, you know, he's like really the face of Hypebeast. Um, but I don't even, I don't know if, if people go there anymore. People don't really go to uh websites unless no. they're directed by instagram right like no no the, the, no one unless it's out of that's in that sphere like people don't give a fuck anymore unfortunately yeah. like you said the, yeah, the, yeah. the uh the tension spans like just too small it's like why care you know what i mean like yeah 
You're 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 a hundred percent. I I think so too. And um, all all this to say with the Adidas thing is that um, I don't know anyone there anymore. I know mm. zero people there. So my so connection do you still, to them. Do you still get? Do you still do you still get flow from them at all? No. No. So when COVID happened, I I do know this for a fact. They stopped seating people like of my like. Uh, my boss was a guy named John Wexler. So John Wexler was actually. Yeah, no, I know who that is. I've heard of him before. Right. So John. I listened to a really good, um, listened to a really good podcast with him that your mate Jeff Staple did. Right. And so I remember, Wexler, I remember meeting him with, with you actually, I think in car, oh, carbon. Right. Yeah, I ended okay. up talking to him and um, that Bobby hundreds guy for about half an hour about the Illuminati when I first got there <laughs> and about like Masonics and ancient history. Cause I'm like pretty knowledgeable about ancient history. So like kind of like the origins of it and stuff like that was kind of interesting. You seem like a nice guy. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I don't know if I've ever bought, met Bobby. Um, no, he's nice. Know. He seemed like a nice guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't so, know. The only so guy Wex- that was weird was Sean Stussy. He was a bit cool guy, but I guess he's Sean Stussy, <laughs> so he's kind of allowed to be. Probably gets people coming up to him all the time going, I tried to talk to him about surfing. I was interested in his original boards. Mm, and he, he, was, he was a – nah, but it was in a weird situation. So, you know, like whatever. Like I don't, I'm not going to judge him. He doesn't fucking know me. I, was just, I just wanted to ask him a couple of questions about how – it's interesting how he was a shape-up, that's all. Just mm. that stuff, so you know. Right, it's... right. Well, so so Wexler leaves early on. He he actually left a while ago, and I think he's at Shopify. Then Florian worked for him, and then, um, but basically during COVID, uh, Wexler ran Wexler's division was called EIM, Entertainment Influencer Marketing. Mm. My understanding, when I would talk to my other friends that were still at Adidas, um, they told me, they're like, no, they, uh, I, I asked them specifically, I was like, yo, what's going on? Like, are they still seeding product? And he was like, they they lost their budget. Their EIM's budget got cut in half. And I just have noticed across the board, the only people who, get products still are people who are kind of still in there um and they get it not from adidas but they get it from like a store or so or from an agency or something like that maybe but like my like sns they sent me friends and family forums sns did it not adidas Mm. And another guy got like from another store, you know, in, in whatever, like South Africa has like a certain store or whatever. That's how people were getting seated, not directly and definitely not the people who I used to see get seated all the time. Mm, so for a while, yeah, for a while they were seating a lot of like uh, unprofessional athletes. So not like a Serena, but like someone who was like a yoga teacher or a runner, like not a professional runner, but like an influencer runner. Yeah. I don't see any of that anymore. Like zero. I've seen zero. Well, I think that that kind of, that era of like influential like stuff is kind of like, it's not as prevalent now. It was kind of right. like three years ago. You know, it's right. still around, but it's, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder what the next thing will be. Because it seems um, like... 
Hey, uh, like hype around anything anymore. There's no, there's no hype around anything. You know what I mean? Like, you're, fuck. You're not, yeah, you're not wrong, dude. It's my friends, different. my friends doing the Nitro games. You know, like Travis Pastrana's thing. That my mates won it twice. He just broke his arm. But two guys I know, they're doing triple backflips, and oh. on a motorbike. Wait, who, who, which on on a motocross or? Yeah, on a motorbike. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw a dude. I saw one of the dudes who did it. It's freaking. Nuts, Harry, Harry Bink, um, and fucking like, I haven't heard anything about it. I know they've sold seventeen thousand tickets because I talked to the filmer, um, but like, it just doesn't seem like people care. Obviously, they care, but it's just I don't know. Instagram kind of it's like video kills the radio star. You know what I mean? Like, just the hype's not there anymore. Unless it's Drake or fucking, you know. I guess Vlad's still got Vlad's pretty good at it. He's an interesting cat. He seems to have a pretty mass. Yeah. Yeah, he's an interesting cat. Um, I think so. I I don't know. I don't know about building anymore. I just love, I love his interviews with with Tony Ayo. Tony Ayo is like, he's like, he's a really interesting cat. And same with um, that Boosie badass. Boosie's a really interesting dude too. Huh. I don't. I don't listen to any of their music, but I. I like their interesting opinions on America. Right. Well, they're just yeah. not. They're not. Um. There's no. There's. No, they're not censored, so they. They speak their mind, which I kind of like. So right. I kind of like Kanye speaking his mind, but he's gone after the Jewish. The Jewish military complex now. He's fucked. I don't think. He's, I don't think even he has that much power. <laughs> I think he's really. And and once you once you attack, uh, if you say anything negative about anything to do with Israel, like you're you're labelled anti-Semitic and you're fucked. Like there's no whether you're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. You and I'm not agreeing with him. I'm not agreeing with him. But once you go after that group of people, um, they control everything. You know, so he's pretty much fucked now. I think. Who knows? It'll be interesting to see though. Because it's like it's it's not just him; it's a divide in the society of America at the moment. You know, still there? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm here. Um, yeah, I don't know the that part type of stuff though with Kanye. I don't know if there's much of a divide. <laughs> like totally, but I'm just I'm just yeah. But it's but it's a lot of what he's there's certain things that he he has said some stupid shit, but like some of the underlying things that he's talking about are. There is some some there is some method to his madness if you actually listen to what he says, but then he goes off on tangents and says stupid shit, and then that becomes the the thing that he said. Like that's the why would you touch the George Floyd thing? Like what a fucking idiot! Like even if you did think that, like that's just fucking suicide. Do you know what I mean? Right. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know. You know, I really don't. And it, it's unfortunate because musically, I I do think he's great. He is mm. great at what he does. Um, he was great at what he did, like his earlier stuff. Um, but he is really clearly off. Off his fucking rocker. rocker. Yeah, he's off. <laughs> but, you know, he's he's gone after the, you know, he's gone after the, the gatekeepers, but the way that he's gone about it is like, 
just just not gonna just not gonna stand up in court, unfortunately. Whether he's right or wrong, and I'm not saying he is right or he is wrong. Um, he probably is wrong, but even if he was right, the way that he's gone about it, it's, you know, even that Balenciaga just cut ties with him. I think. Oh really? I think yeah, and I think that might be the final straw. You know. Wow, I didn't say I, I haven't. A lot of it, I like I said, I I really keep to it. Like, I do not click on anything um, if it happens to fall in my feed and I read it, but I do not search it oh, out. I don't really search it out. I just see, um, I just see like the high snobiety stuff. That's the only. I don't even. I don't subscribe to hype beast. I like high snobiety. Right. That's more yeah. My I don't thing. know, man. I I do though. I hope that um. He gets some help. I hope to so too. Out what he's doing, what what the fuck is happening? C- clearly, something has triggered him right now, um, and he's not getting the help. Right, mm. he's just not getting the help that he needs. And I don't know, you Sad. know, on a, on a, on a personal, guy. yeah, on that level, you know, like you know, his kids have to be seeing some levels of these things, right? They have to. Totally, but the the Kardashians are just as bad. Like, that fucking, that mother's fucking evil. No, uh, this, no sure, sure. I, I have no care yeah, about I mean, like, I think, but I think I do the guy, care about the, I do the guy care probably, about... you know, like, I, a lot of us probably being around all that toxic, toxic energy. Right. That, do, that doesn't help. Do you know what I mean? No, like, yeah, hundred percent. She's like, I, she don't, she don't give a fuck. She, she eats dudes and spits them out. You know, she need. You got to be a real alpha motherfucker male to, 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 to deal with a girl like that. Like she's full attention seeking. Fucking, you know, she likes sex and she's, she, she, you're the play toy. And then she just, you know, when she's done with you, she's bored and you just, she just goes, yep, next, see ya. So. Right. It's you know it's a, it's an you know Hollywood's an interesting world, man. Willie's world, Willie's world, party.